Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Cini. Today, we're doing our two-thirds of the season rookie review. We'll talk about all the best rookies in the league. But first, LeBron decided to talk about Bronny, so we have to talk about it. Let's do it. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam. The the but if you watch the tape, what you will see is completely orchestrated this game. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Sam? How are you doing today? I, you know, I'm a little bit annoyed that we have to talk about Bronny and LeBron and all that stuff. Uh, I thought we did that last time and, you know, we wouldn't have to do it again anytime soon, but here we are. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I thought we, like you said, I thought we went 20, how many ever minutes of Bronny James talk. I thought we were very unbiased. We were very fair. We talked about him as a draft prospect, what we thought was best for him. I was like, okay, we've done our due diligence on Bronny James and what we have to talk. We don't have to talk about this anymore. He's not a real 2024 draft prospect as of right now. We'll we'll get back into it later. And then uh, Monday, February 26th happened. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into that, we want to do a couple of quick shout outs. Uh, Bryce, you want to shout out your old college basketball coach. So yeah. let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. Coach Jeff Jones, who coached me at American University, he's been at Old Dominion the last handful of years. And uh, he retired today um, from coaching due to some health stuff. He's he's had some bouts with cancer. This is all public stuff. He had a heart attack earlier this year. And um, I, I don't want to get into all of it. A lot of it's very personal to me and and but I just wanted to give him a shout out because I would never have been the player I was without him. I wouldn't be the person I am without him. And I guarantee people this, I wouldn't be doing the game theory podcast with Sam Bassini if he wouldn't have taught me the game the the way he did. And so just shout out to coach Jones. Shout out to coach Jones. I love the fact that we're going to take a second to shout out Jeff Jones here. Uh, Jeff Jones, over the course of his career coaching division one, which by the way, Virginia, Bryce's beloved American, and Old Dominion. He won 560 games. I feel like he's one of the few coaches across college basketball that people don't recognize has won like 500 basketball games and has done so with a 61 winning percentage or no, a 57 winning percentage. He won 61% of his games at Old Dominion, uh, won 59% of his games at Virginia. Just a uh, a really, really good basketball coach that went under the radar for many, many, many years. My shout out is to Alexei Pokashevsky. Uh, Folks, Pokuism, I think it is dead, unfortunately. I think our dear sweet religion of this podcast has died. Poku uh, will be no longer playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was waived over the weekend. It's a shame. It's just an absolute shame. I think that over the years, I saw some people tweeting me like, you were wrong about Poku. You were this, you were that. I think that the uh, the bit about Poku uh, may have taken on a life of its own where it like metastasized into its own thing. And now... People think that like I saw like Poku is this like unbelievable prospect and everything. I think I had Poku at like 18 or so, 19 on my board. I, I 
that draft. I sort of liked him, but more than anything, I just loved watching him play because it was always hilarious. That was the biggest thing. It was always like the most ridiculous thing you will see on a basketball court. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, absurd basketball player, Alexei Pokashevsky. There was always a between zero and 100% chance that he was going to be a good basketball player. And unfortunately, uh, it ended up being the more toward the zero end. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of Poku takes or thoughts or anything like that. I mean, like you, like we always talk about this. We we want these guys to succeed. We evaluate them. We analyze them. We discuss them. We have ones that we like. We have ones that are more aesthetically pleasing than others. And and sometimes you just fall into being the player X guy. Like I became the Benedict Matherin guy in that draft just because I seemed to like him. And, and more than anything, Sam, he was aesthetically pleasing to watch. Like I liked his game and how he played. And I kind of became like, all of a sudden you start talking good about a guy and it becomes your guy. And you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but sometimes those things happen organically. It's the nature of the business. And sounds like that happened a little bit for you and uh, uh, Poku. Yeah. Uh, We'll see where Poku goes. I hope that he ends up in Europe, you know, maybe a place like Partizan. Like, I would imagine he'll sign for a big team just because former NBA player, whole bucket of upside still, especially over there. I mean, maybe he's like this generation's Jan Vesely, right? Where, like, Jan went on to be one of the best players in Europe for many, many years. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe Poku gets a second shot in the NBA. We'll see. And as a basketball uh, career, nothing wrong with that, Sam, right? Like, I, I realize no, the expectations that come with being an NBA draft pick and everything, but... You know, people talk about this a lot, just being a college athlete in general, like being a professional athlete at any sport, at any level, there's something like about that, something special. And so hopefully he goes and makes a boatload of money and has a really good career. Oh, like if he makes himself available to European teams, it's going to be like a bidding war for Poku. Like it will be a real thing. So uh, let's move on though. Let's talk about this LeBron James tweet. So LeBron... Uh, he decided to tweet about the fact that Dunk Central put out a post saying that ESPN has finally removed Bronny from its mock draft. Can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works earned, not given. 100%. All of this is true. I do mock drafts. They really don't matter. Like at the end of the day, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. Uh, I think that I do a pretty good job of like projecting where this is all going to go. But the players tell the story. That's the whole thing. You follow what the tape tells you. You follow what the production tells you. You follow what the potential tells you. Everything like that. Here's my problem. <laughs> You can't go from saying Bronny could help us on the Lakers now to then like this and being like defensive and being like, can y'all just let the kid be a kid? Because a big piece of this is that he himself, LeBron, put the pressure on to Bronny in a big way by saying he could help us now, which in turn builds the hype by doing that. You can't do that 
and then turn around and say, can you just let the kid be a kid? That's my problem with all of this that just happened. And by the way, he's the lead of the tweet. We'll see, you know, what he says about it. Cause he'll be asked about it at some point, but it's just like, come on. Well, so here's my question, Sam. Did LeBron come out against this in the preseason when Bronny was finding his way into the top 30 of ESPN mock drafts and stuff? Like, I mean, this is the first time he's come out and just said, let him be a kid that I know of. Maybe it's the first time it's become a big deal. And it's because there's a little bit, and it's not even true negativity. Like, there's nothing negative about this. And now, like, I just don't understand why it was necessary for LeBron to, to say this. Like, Bronny, I think what started was ESPN put out their 2025 and Bronny was in that one. And so then all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, if Bronny's in the 2025 mock, that must mean they're, you know, he's not in the 2024. But like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like I didn't see Trey Alexander's name in the 2025 one and go, oh my gosh, what a failure. Like, you know, anything like that. So I guess I just don't understand what was like, how was Bronny done wrong? I guess like what is the context that is so frustrating around talking about him? And, and like at the end of the day, you do play for one of the great, or you are the son of one of the greatest players that ever played. There's people are going to talk about you. Well, and again, like I go back to a conversation we had when we had the Brownie conversation a week ago or whatever, two weeks ago. You contrast the way that LeBron has talked about Bronny and kind of built the excitement and like built the hype a little bit compared to the way that Carmelo Anthony has at every stage kind of like minimized the hype on Kai and Anthony. And there has been a lot of hype about Kai. And honestly, I think Kai is like just pretty much as close to as good as a prospect as Bronny. Uh, if not like a little bit better, like I, I think that they're close basically one way you could pick one or the other, right? Every time that Carmelo like talks about Kyan, it's like, if he's not ready to go, like he's going back to school, like no questions asked. Like, it's not a thing. He's just going back. We're not even going to have this discussion. And when he's ready, he's ready. And if he's not ready, then whatever, that's fine. But when you start saying things like this guy can play for the Lakers right now, you are artificially building that on your own merit or on his merits when his game as of this moment does not necessarily deserve that kind of expectation being built maybe is the fairest way to put it. Uh, LeBron or Bronny James, I'm sorry. Bronny is averaging five and a half points, 2.8 rebounds, 2.5 assists, shooting 37% from the field and 27 and a half percentage or percent from three this season at USC. And I mean, that's just like not, it's not an NBA player and that's fine. Like I say that the reason we had the conversation a week ago is because I think that Le I think Bronny James down the road has like a real shot to stick in the NBA at some yep. point. Yep. He needs to work on his ball skills. He needs to work on becoming uh, a better passer in half court situations. He needs to be able to actually pressure the rim in half court situations. Clearly needs to continue to work on the jump shot. I liked the steps he took last year, particularly with it, but clearly needs to continue to grow if he's only shooting 27 and percent from three this year i think some of that small sample if you made me say like is Bronny a true talent 27 and percent three-point shooter 
I would say, honestly, I think he's probably better than that, but he's probably not like a 35% three-point shooter from the NBA line, which means he's not good enough to do it yet. So I say all this to say that with a guy that is, you know, six foot two and a half, six foot three, something like that in terms of height, in terms of what he'll be listed at in the NBA, not really like an on-ball point guard yet. The margin for error is just very, very low. And you, no matter how athletic Bronny is, how strong he is, and he has all of those tools, and they're all really interesting. The margin for error is very, very small. And you need, if he's going to stick in the NBA on his own merits, which I think that like there is a chance down the road that he could, you need to handle this process in a very calculated and intentional way. You can't just send him through to the NBA and like expect that it'll work. Because uh, he, what does he need most to develop? He needs on-ball reps because, again, he's not an enormous dude, right? I just think that people rush this in such a real way, and that includes, yes. you know, my colleagues that do mock drafts. Like, I've never had Brownie as a first-round player, I don't think. Um, I think the highest I've had him is, like, right around, like, the 35 to 40 mark or something. Um, I, I've never really seen him as, like, a one-and-done though talent wise i've always seen him as more of a this is going to take time guy but again he is athletic enough he has potential to shoot enough to where if you squint you can see a three and d guard down the road like nobody thought that somebody like devin carter at south carolina should go pro immediately as a freshman but devin carter Transferred to Providence, got some on-ball reps, got a ton of on-ball reps this year, improved, showcased what he was capable of, and Devin Carter is going to go somewhere in the top 25 this year. And it's going to be earned, as LeBron says, not given. And sometimes you just need to take that slower route, and that's okay. That's totally fine. I just hope that like maybe this is a more realistic sense of how to handle it from LeBron moving forward saying that you know just let the kid enjoy college basketball this that and the other thing maybe this is like a change of strategy in some way that they're recognizing hey maybe he's not a one and done maybe we're gonna do that instead uh that would be great but yeah, like these uh, aggressive uh, comments and things like that are never positive, in my opinion. Well, I, I just always want to make sure we give the context, and we did it the first time we talked about this. I think the reason both of us get, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, or, or want to talk about this is because we both see the path to a real NBA career for Bronny. Like you say, on the merits yeah. of his game, not on the merits of LeBron James wants to play in an NBA basketball game with his son and some team will draft him in the second round just to make that happen because LeBron James is who he is and all of those things. We both think that Bronny James has a real path, not a guaranteed path, but a real path to being an NBA draft pick and an NBA player. 
And I think both of us just want to talk about him that way, right? Like you don't like yeah, when he ends up truly. in the first round of 2024 mocks, then you have to almost disparage him because neither of us believe that. And so now it's almost like we can have a more realistic conversation of, I don't even know where he was in the 2025 one, but we can be like, okay, if he goes into the offseason where this year he'll have a real offseason where he can grow and improve his game, he could end up at 25 or, you know, like you say, the Devin Carter arc, like those type of things. I think that's why we're kind of so passionate about it is you're taking a real draft prospect and a real potential NBA player and we're turning it into a just a completely different conversation that that takes away from what this kid is as a player. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Are you ready to talk rookies, Bryce? Let's do it. Let's have fun talking about like basketball now instead of the things around basketball. That'd be great. All right. The way we're going to do this is I'm just going to name a rookie and we're going to go through okay. it. I was just saying, cause like, uh, I don't think we talked about how we're going to do this. So um, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. We're going to start with Victor Wembanyama, who okay. is like breaking basketball and continues to like blow my mind every single time I watch him. What we talked about the last time we did this, what I talked about in the rookie rankings uh, probably a month ago, something like that was that this dude's coming and it's startling how quickly he is picking up NBA basketball. That is the biggest thing that like is a standout thing to me right now. Every time I watch Victor, he's like processing and figuring out NBA basketball at a staggering clip, like not just like a, Oh yeah, like he's getting better. He's a rookie, whatever. He has been unbelievable. So since December 8th, which is when Zach Collins went to the bench and they put Victor as like the, you know, starting center for the first time. Victor has averaged 21.7 points, 10.3 rebounds, 3.8 assists versus 3.4 turnovers, 3.7 blocks and 1.3 steals per game, so just a solid five stocks per game shooting 49, 35, 81. That's 33 games of elite play basically now, like truly, truly elite all-star caliber play. He has more blocks than seven teams right now in the month of February, according to a San Antonio Spurs broadcast. He became recently the first player in NBA history to have 75 threes, 150 assists, and 150 blocks in a season. Again, we're two-thirds of the way through a season, <laughs> and this is first player to ever do this over a full season. And he became recently the youngest player in NBA history to record a 5x5. Five five. And oh, by the way, he's like threatening the 5x5 five five nightly right now. I want to start with this question for you. Okay. Since that December, what was it here in my notes? December 8th, Mark. Victor Wembenyama has been the what best player in the NBA. Huh. So like top 30, top, you know, g- give me, give me a, give me a number. Just so ballpark it. My immediate reaction was top 30, but I feel like I may be shortchanging him there. Although his team still isn't winning, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. Top 30 sounds not aggressive enough. 
Yeah. I want to move it closer to 20, top 20. I, I with the, Without like looking at the context of everybody else, I, I feel a little more comfortable at 20. Brian K says 20 to 25. I feel like that's 20-ish is where I would want to be. I think where I'm at is I think he's probably been like right around that 15 mark okay. or so. Like it's really close. He is like dominating games defensively. It, it is insane to watch him defend the game. Like to me, and like the clip that I pulled for Wembenyama here that we're going to talk about is to me, like the hardest thing to guard right now in the NBA that like nobody has figured out like a cheat code for quite yet is the empty side ball screen, right? It feels like that is with how teams space the court with how teams have shooters, you know, in the opposite corner or on the opposite wing, it's really hard to bring help over in the right circumstances. The best team in the NBA right now in terms of empty side ball screen actions is the Los Angeles Lakers, according to Second Spectrum. And he just, like, obliterates these things. So, like, Austin Reeves is going to come down. He's going to take an empty from Anthony Davis. And it's just like okay, I'm here. I'm like playing in like semi catch drop, but like basically a drop. But instead of like continuing to retreat, I'm going to like stand my ground here momentarily and just use my length to cut off the pocket pass, cut off a potential lob and be there to contest in case Austin Reeves goes up. This is insane. Well, I mean, this is like, to, like it's totally insane what he's able to do to just like completely erase these actions like the length right like in him understanding angles and how do you like right there where you have it pause sam that is the perfect clip like i wish we could screenshot this and show potential nba draft prospects that are bigs because yes wimby has crazy length listen i watch a, a young big man in detroit who has not figured this out yet like putting your hand in that pocket passing window allows you to play a position in the drop coverage that you can stay below your man, but still help on Reeves as you've talked about. Just putting it there makes it such a tougher pass. Yeah, you're 100% right. It is crazy, crazy, crazy how much his length impacts the game in such a real way. Just like go slowly through this clip, right? Like you can see the steps he's taking. He's staying aggressive. He's staying active. The arms are up. The arms are just cutting off such ridiculous angles on the court. He gets this deflection. Like that's a deflection that nobody else in the league can get to like point blank. Nobody else in the league has the mobility and the length to be able to get to that deflection and stop that pocket pass from getting to Anthony Davis. And then like, Oh, by the way, leads the break. And Jeremy Soan throws this like ridiculous touch pass. Like they're going to be really good really soon, I think. And, and that's just like one example of what he does, right? Like that's one example of how on a play-by-play -play basis, he completely just like impacts the game and takes it over with his length. Forget everything else. Like forget every other play on the like court. Forget the fact that he is creating shots like out of the mid post now forget the fact that he's creating shots in transition now he knocks down threes occasionally like it's it's all of it he does every single thing that you'd want to see 
in flashes at least when he is like 23 it's gonna be absurd what he is it's going to be ridiculous what victor Wembanyama is in the next two years well and the thing is he completely takes away the lob pass right so like no big man is going to set a screen and roll against Wimby in drop coverage because you know you're not going to get it so then he knows guys are going to short roll or pick and pop obviously has the length to recover there you know what we didn't have to talk about there sam any of the other three guys on the floor we didn't have to talk about the guys on the weak side stepping over to help. And that's what you said at the beginning, right? Is nobody's been able to crack how you defend the empty side ball screen. Well, that's because you do you bring help. If you bring help, well, now there's an advantage on the weak side, like all of these things. It's not just that situation, though. He keeps your defense out of rotation. He makes life easier on the guys navigating a ball screen. You can get more aggressive in steals, passing lanes, on the ball, all of these different things because he is there. So it's just amazing what he's able to do. And we've talked about this before. When he gets stronger, right? Like when people are talking about in the comments how he's able to bend. So with the flexibility is there. Think about when he gets a little bit stronger even. I don't know if we're ready to move on from the defense yet, but when we want to talk offense, I have a question I want to ask about his offense and kind of his go-to thing moving forward. But I don't want to move on from the defense yet if if we're not there. No, I'm ready to move on from the defense. I mean, he's just completely ridiculous. Like, he is absolutely unbelievable on the defensive end. Uh, If you look at any impact metric, he has been, you know, let's call it a top seven top 10 defender in the league this year. And if he continues this, he's going to make an all defense team. And it's so, not even going to be like, he's all defense, right? Yeah. He's, he's all defense, like, but no not a defensive that. player of the year because the team's so bad. Like, I, I know he's not going to be the defensive player of the year. I'm asking, can we sit here and make an argument? You know, like if I asked for MVP, we would say Jokic, SGA, Giannis, like we have five or six guys we could make a real argument for. If I ask you for DPOY, could we sit here and make a real argument against like Gobert and Bam and these guys? Look, I don't think he is going to win defensive player of the year. I feel pretty confident saying that Rudy will win. Yeah. I'm I'm not like totally unconvinced that he's not the best defensive player in the league right now. Sure. Um, just in terms of the way that like he impacts everything in terms of the geometry of the game on how you have to handle him when he is on the court. And oh, by the way, their defense is bad because of what happens when he's off the court. Like they have a 115.5 defensive rating when Victor is on the court. They have a 122 defensive rating when he's off the court. Like it's not like any of their defense or defensive defensive players are like coming off the bench and like making life easier for everything. Right. Like, like their starters are way better than their defenders off the bench. Right. It's that he is like holding up this defense, like on his shoulders in a substantial way. My immediate take is that, you know, kind of similar to what I'm seeing in the comments here, Alex says, as much as I love Wemby, you can't win DPOI with the 28th ranked defense in the league. I think that's probably right. And yet, I think he needs to be all defense. Like, if you watch him sure. on tape, it's like this needs to be, like, he needs to be there, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, at some point we can provide context that he is individually this good when he's on the floor. He makes his team this much better and he doesn't have the infrastructure around him. Like with all due respect to Gobert, and I realize he's has towns there, but Anthony Edwards is a pretty good defender, Sam. And Jaden McDaniels is a pretty good defender as well. Like it, it's just, yeah. it's a little bit different of a context than what Victor Wimbenyama is working with. Yeah. And you, you wanted to move to the offense and have uh, yeah. a conversation so, about that. Yeah. So my question was I going back to the very first time I watched him, whenever I was doing scouting, all that, I thought his offensive hub area of the floor, right? Like some guys, smaller guys are pick and roll handlers. That's what they do best. Other guys are running off screens. Other guys are operating here, there, whatever, right? Like everybody kind of has their thing. I always thought Wimby's was like a mid post isolation. I thought, especially early in his career, that's where he could be a hub of an offense. He can catch face and rip attack through secondary fenders, especially when he gets stronger, catch, face left hand rip get fouled like these are actually notes from games i watched and then we've talked about just how he can pass because of what he can see and the arm angle he can get the ball to that other people can't i just think that's where he could be the hub like at his peak throw the ball to him at 15 feet on the elbow more on the wing you know wherever and just let him go to work do you agree or do you disagree like do you you see something else i would say mid post wing and also top of the key uh having potentially like dribble handoff rejection options having okay. yeah, yeah yeah uh you know empty side ball screens on the wing where he can make decisions out of that and like reject dribble handoffs there or short roll into the mid post kind of like how Joel became like so elite uh in those actions this year and last year particularly I would say I think that the thing with him is like, you just have a lot of real potential options. And oh, by the way, like he's going to lead the break and be as aggressive and as, you know, uh, dominant in transition is you can have a player because he covers ground so quickly. And because he's going to finish at such an elite level and has the dexterity to lead the break and go. Right. So I kind of think like all I think part of it is that he's so versatile that you don't have to get him the ball in the same spot all the time. Like it's not like LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, who talked about Wemby and said that like, you know, he needs one or two. He needs like one skill and like one counter off of that. I don't disagree with LaMarcus. Like, I think that that would be a great way to go about like starting using Wemby as a hub. But I think that you know, whereas LaMarcus needed the ball on like that, you know, left block area and like he'd go to town that way. Right. And face up and drive or, you know, face up and hit that uh, 16 foot sweet mid range jumper. Right. Wemby, I think you're going to be able to use a lot of different ways. The other thing that I think this year has shown to me, and I'm actually really glad that the Spurs did it this way in terms of learning what they have with Victor Wembenyama, Right. I love the fact that they took their time to see what they have because to me, what this year showed is that he's going to be able to lead like a league average defense. Let's call it on his own. Like when he is on the court, you're going to have a league average defense. That means if I'm the Spurs moving forward in terms of the players I surround him with, 
I'm just going shooting and playmaking. Sure. And just saying, let's have like the best offense in the league. Hopefully some of those guys with shooting and playmaking ability can defend. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. And maybe like we go about it that way and say, we have Vic, let's put all of the floor spacing possible around him and just go and make it so he has all of these open driving lanes to be able to attack from the top of the key. Uh, he has all these, you know, open opportunities to where if you have shooters out there, you can't really double down onto his drives from the mid post. You can't double down onto him and like make things easier to me. If I'm them, I'm playing him at center moving forward and I'm surrounding him with four shooters and one or two real playmakers and going. I mean, we talk about this constantly about for these rebuilding teams the worst thing that can happen throughout a season is what sam you get to the end of the year and you don't know about your young players you don't have any yep. you don't know can jalen green do this if you have a true point guard can victor Wimbanyama do this if you play him at the four right like as much as we all got frustrated by some of this stuff at least they know it didn't look as good as whenever he's at the five. How did it look when there was no true point guard on that? Like all of these things, the worst thing you can do when you're a rebuilding team and you're not going to win games anyway is not know, especially about your young players. Like the Sohan thing was crazy. It was so frustrating. In some ways, 
I'm like, you know what? At least they they know, and they should never try it again. They found out. They gave it all of the possible chances to be right. It wasn't, and now they know. One other real quick thing. Like, Sam, amongst rookies, and this is for the whole season or I did since January 1st, fifth in total minutes. Fifth. He's putting up all of these numbers. What'd you say earlier? 75 threes, 150 assists, and 150 blocks? Like, fifth in minutes just among rookies. Like, this dude isn't just playing a crazy, crazy amount of minutes as he's doing all of this. And then he's first in everything, right? I think what's impressive is since January 1, you did a lot, but 49% from the field, 35% from three, 83% from the free throw line, gets to the free throw line most among rookies, 34% usage. Like he's taking all of this usage, but he's gotten so much more efficient, right? Like that was the argument the, the losses is yeah. always going to be there, right? This year in terms of rookie of the year, whatever. It was the efficiency, and he's starting to chip away at that uh, you know, argument as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Wemby, I think, is the rookie of the year. Uh, I think it's just I agree. very clear now. Uh, having said that, I think that any season in recent years, Chet would be the rookie of the year. One, uh, I Someone said it the best the other day. Like, What sucks is, yeah, any other year, these two guys are – not any other year, but a lot of years – Either one is running away with it, and we just happen to have them in the same year. So over Chet's last 10 games, we'll move to Chet Holmgren now. Yep. He's averaging 19 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2.6 assists, with one steal and 3.1 blocks. He's shooting 59-51-76 over his last 10. Having said that, in the 10 games before that, he hit a rookie wall that I think probably swung the rookie of the year race at the end of the day. Uh, he averaged 12, eight and three in those 10 games, 2.7 blocks and shot 43, 26, 64. Having said that, he's also the fourth player in NBA history and the first rookie ever with hundred threes and 150 blocks in the season. Also just doing legitimately historic things like has been unbelievable. And this is the first time the two rookies have had 150 blocks in a season since when, Bryce? Give me the two names. 150 blocks in a season, two rookies. Yep. Oh, I hate trivia. I'm just going to make a fool of myself if I answer. So Duncan and somebody else. No, I think that that actually might. I think they actually might have done that. But uh, it's since I think 2002. Uh, Pau Gasol and Andre Kirilenko. Oh yeah, I definitely wouldn't have got that. Yeah, come on, you, you don't know your Europeans. Well, uh, come on, Bryce. I don't know my. Being so xenophobic, Bryce. I am a very <laughs> bad historian when it comes to basketball. Okay, what has been your thought on chat? Let's say over the last like little stretch here, and over the course of the season. Yeah, so it's interesting that you brought up the numbers where you felt like he hit the rookie wall because I watched the game and I, I put that in my notes as like I flat out didn't think he had the energy and production of other games I watched. It was the second night of a back-to-back, -back, but like this is a real thing, Sam. Like it's a real thing for a lot That's of rookies true. that they hit this. Here's the other thing. Like I just talked about Wimby being fifth in minutes. Guess who's first in minutes in this season? Chet Holmgren for rookies. Yep. Guess who's first since January 1st? Chet Holmgren. So this guy is playing a lot of minutes. He's playing very, very, very meaningful basketball, right? He's playing a huge role on a team that has to win night in and night out, which comes with 
pressure of its own and wear and tear on its own. He's anchoring a defense in his own right as well. One of the best defenses in the NBA. And so, I mean, I, I think it's understandable. And like you said, the, the, at the top, like any other year, this guy is probably winning it. It's so hard. It's just so hard for me. I understand people who want to say Chet. Like, I get it. I understand it. It's hard for me not to think that if Wimby was in this situation, he wouldn't be doing the same things, but they're not. And so shout out Chet for coming in. You get drafted to the team you get drafted to. You're in the context you're in. And this isn't an easy context for a rookie to be successful and thrive in. He absolutely has. And what I love about Chet is his attitude, his demeanor. He's hit big shots in big moments this year. This man is not afraid of it. And now for me, it's like, I just want to see what he can do in the playoffs. Like in year one, is this dude ready for the playoffs and what kind of impact can he have when they get there? Well, oh, by the way, Chet is unbelievable in terms of his ability to guard ball screens as well. Like the clip I pulled for us to take a look at is very similar to the clip I pulled for Wemby. It's not an empty, but it's just look at the way that he's able to play these ball screens. He plays this gap so well uh, and ends up spotting a men Thompson here. I think he's always been so sharp and so anticipatory in the way that he plays ball screens. His uh, basketball IQ has always been elite. Uh, I've always been such an enormous fan of the way that he plays defense. I think a big piece of it is that he has this innate ability to drop his hips in ball screen coverages in the way that a big, a lot of bigs just like, frankly, can't right. Uh, you know, can you imagine like somebody like Brooke Lopez, like backpedaling, backpedaling, backpedaling three steps and then dropping their hips and swatting uh, a men Thompson like this, like no chance. Like he just doesn't have that flexibility through his hips, despite the fact that Brooke takes up a ton of space. He's an unbelievable drop coverage defender, uses his hands incredibly well. Right. Like, and you notice here, like Chet doesn't have his hands up. He often like, kind of tries to bait things i think like he's not necessarily trying to like just cut off all of the angles all the time he's trying to bait people into doing what he wants them to do because he thinks that for instance against the men thompson he's going to be able to turn and recover and then get the rebound and end the possession right like he's playing that cat and mouse game honestly i think at a higher level than what victor does it's just that victor has like arms that are half a foot longer and has like height that is almost what probably close to half a foot higher Higher. or four inches higher or something so his margin for error using that length is just so much you know different than what chet's is but chet is i think even like smarter in terms of the way that he uses his length yeah i mean he's a very high feel awareness like however you want to say it And yeah, like he understands what he can bait guys into. And I can't have a check conversation without bringing up just the contact strength he has, the practical strength he has in terms of like he plays with verticality really, really well. And that's not an easy thing for young players to grasp and especially skinnier, younger players, right? Because you're taking that contact right in the chest and it doesn't feel good. And he is able to do that at a very high level. 
And so it's not just about block shots. We talk about this all the time with bigs, right? Like watch a, a, a Timberwolves game. How many shots do guys not even take because Rudy Gobert is there? Or do they shoot a mid-range pull-up or a floater that's, you know, three feet higher, you know, whatever it is. You know, both of these guys, but Chet in his own right as well, they have these type of impact on players by forcing shots to not even be taken just because of their presence. And then we've also talked about just the versatility he could offer. Cause as you talked about his ability to bend and move cover ground. And so now you get into a series. And again, this is like, I know I'm like fast forwarding here with Chet and maybe it's a little unfair to not just, you know, bask in, in what he has done as a rookie during the regular season. I can't like, you need that versatility in playoff series, Sam's to do different things, to put him on different matchups, to switch, to drop, to, you know, play him as an off ball roamer. If the matchup makes the most sense to do that. And that, that that's going to make Chet really special um, with what he can do defensively in regards to all of that. Yeah, no, I agree. Chet has been unbelievable this season. We're going to get to see how good he has a chance to be in the playoffs. You know, I'm fascinated to see what he looks like. He has the games where he struggled a little bit with foul trouble have come against good teams for the most part this season. I think we showed shared those numbers on the last show, right? Uh, I think it was something like, you know, 13 games or something and 11 of them were against playoff teams where he's had at least four fouls in a game. And, oh. uh, you know, I think they're like seven and six in those games as opposed to their like elite, elite record. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really, really interesting to watch how he's going to get officiated, like how, how teams yeah. try to attack him. Do they try and make it more of a point to attack him in the playoffs? Because Oklahoma city doesn't have anything behind him. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how teams scout those kind of settings and try to work for work from there with them. Yeah, no, it'll be really interesting to see. And that's what, again, like we get to see him in a different context. Here's the other thing. Like, I hope we don't judge his season at the end any differently if they get into the playoffs and maybe yeah. something gets exposed or whatever, right? Because we know this is the type of stuff that happens in the playoffs. Like, this man has put up an incredible season. Again, first in minutes, he's right there in points, second, third, um, whether you look on the season or since January 1st. And then the efficiency offensively, Sam. Like, on the season, he's shooting 40% from – like, he's almost – 50, 40, 80, like just ridiculous for the season. That efficiency dropped a little bit from the free throw line since January 1st, but just putting up crazy numbers, over 60% effective field goal percentage and filling a role that this Thunder team really needed, right? Like they need this. And a lot of it is like what they do offensively. I think he has a huge cog of that. Like as good as SGA is, how mm. does this look if you don't have an offensive five like Chet doing what he can do on the offensive end? Yeah, no, it's 100% right. He he is a huge, huge, huge piece of their scheme and structure. And we've talked about that throughout the course of the year. Yep. Let's go to Brandon Miller now, because Brandon, I think, has been really, really fun to watch. Overall, you look at the numbers, averaging 16 and a half points, four rebounds, 2.4 assists, 44% from the field, 38% from three, 83% from the line. If you look at it since January 19th, he's played 19 games in that time. 21 points per game, four and a half rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.4 steals, 47, 38, 87 in terms of his production. That is really, really impressive. Like that is some really impressive stuff for a rookie. But you know what the best thing I saw recently from Brandon Miller was? There was this clip recently against the Blazers. 
where transition defense has been a total catastrophe for the Charlotte Hornets the entire season. There's not another way to say it. So he gets back first in transition defense. You can see there how many guys are in this clip. One, two, three. Three. Yep. Yeah. So means a couple of guys did not get back for the Hornets. And look at him. He's saying, you guys got to get back. <laughs> like you can literally see him. Yep. Yep. Like communicating with his teammates. Like you guys have to get back. And one of the things about Miller pre-draft was, you know, kind of a quiet kid, like, you know, definitely a dude that like really wants to be great and everything, but a kid that could be like a little bit quiet for the most part, this kind of stuff is enormous for him. Like, this is the kind of stuff that you see. They move Terry Rozier. They move PJ Washington. They move Gordon Hayward. So they move out some of the vets. Brandon Miller, like over, you know, recent times, it seems like is like trying to take on like a bit of a louder voice and trying to like make, you know, the team a little bit more like in his image in terms of what he wants. And he wants his team back in transition defense and he's not afraid to say it as a rookie. And I think that is so, so impressive to see. And it's really, really important for the Hornets moving forward because like LaMelo is a lot of things in terms of talent, in terms of what he's been capable of. We have not seen anything really like this necessarily from LaMelo in regard to like winning basketball, right? Th this is big for them. Like if Brandon Miller can be that kind of guy, I love it. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, as long as he's doing the right things on the floor, as long as he's sprinting back on defense and transition, he's trying to take matchups. I think we talked about that early in the year that they were putting him in position to guard some of the other team's best players. Like you're going to have to do it on this end of the floor as well. And whenever you do those things, people listen to you when you're vocal. The other thing is then they're willing to let you do your thing on the offensive end, right? Like you give that effort on the defensive end and they'll let you go do your thing on the offensive end. Teams are much more, teammates, excuse me, are much more willing to live with that if they know you're going to sprint back on defense or go get a rebound or make the rotation or jump up, you know, whatever, whatever it is that he needs to be doing. It really, it just, it works hand in hand within a team. It's a lot harder to you know, sit there and watch some player jack shot after shot after shot if they're not vocal, if they're not emotional, if they're not intense, if they don't play any defense. And so I think overall, this just makes like yeah. I don't know how much we talked about him as a defensive prospect going into that draft, right? A lot of it was offensive. Can he get to the rim? And will the mid-range come back? Because that's what he was known for coming into his freshman year at Alabama, Sam, right? It was like this mid-range pull-up guy that was really good. And then the three-point line stuff or the three-point shot came around, obviously, in his freshman year there. So I think it was a lot about the offense. He has the body in the athletic not a big time athlete, but the length. And if he can put on a little bit of strength, he's not like a lockdown defender, but a little bit more two way, especially if he has this mentality that you showed in the clip. Yeah. I kind of want to go back and take a look at the draft guide real quick and like, see what I thought about Brandon, like a hundred percent. My immediate reaction is I had some like real questions about him on defense. Let me, uh, uh, I'll give some stats while you look that up. So since January 1st, yeah. second in points at over 18, a game, 44% from the field, 37% from three, 85% from the free throw line. He's getting there almost three times a game since the turn of the calendar. 
ninth in rebound, ninth in assists, third in steals, like some really good stuff there. Over 50% effective field goal percentage, 25% usage. You know, just I think he has gotten better. And the other thing is the talent around him has not gotten better on that Hornets team, either due to injury or trades or anything like that. So I think he's taking getting tougher matchups, better defenders guarding him. And I think this has been a really, really good rookie season for Brandon Miller that's kind of being overshadowed because Wimby and Chet are so darn good. All right. So I just pulled up the draft guide from last year. Uh, I didn't have negative thoughts really on Brandon as a defender. I thought he was, uh, and I quote, a steady defensive player for his size. He's not a lights out defender or a stopper, but he's reliable and should translate well schematically to the NBA. Alabama used him on guards regularly, and he was relatively effective in terms of switchability. He's not the quickest guy in the world, but he's big and fluid enough to flip his hips well in space and try to cut off a different angle if the man beats him. Off the ball, he does a good job of constantly being in the right position and using his size and length effectively. He stays on balance and closes out well to shooters, doesn't miss rotations often, uh, does not project anywhere near an all-defense level, but has potential to be a cog in solid defensive teams, which I think kind of feels right to yep. what we've seen so far, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, it's like you've done this before, Sam. Maybe you yeah, know what like you're doing. I uh, am okay at this from time to time. Um, yeah, so like I say all of this, to say that, like, I think Brandon, you know, has been pretty good this year. On Honestly, like, I think this year he's been a little bit better on defense than what I thought he would be. I thought it might be like a little bit of a struggle to him, sure. like adjusting to the physicality because he doesn't have a ton of strength in his lower half. But it hasn't really been that like he's been pretty capable uh, so far this year. I mean, they're terrible on defense, but like it's not his fault that they're terrible on defense when you watch their games. Uh, offensively, like it's the continued improvement in terms of comfort in ball screens, his flexibility, uh, his ability to like attack and get into that mid-range area. That's the that that's the kind of difference between him and like I've seen people ask about like comparing him to Zachary's Deshay, right? Like I even have like asked that question of scouts before, honestly, just to, like kind of get like the feedback from them on it because I think it's an interesting point of comparison. The difference is like the flexibility and the ability to attack out of ball screens and like create shots and be a shot creator as opposed to, you know, the guy who I have at number one in this year's class, Riza Shea, who I think is like kind of an off ball player right now for the most part. Yeah, it seems like Miller has is just a little more dynamic offensively. I will say though, I like the I, I know you want guys to continue to expand their game and what Miller can do with the ball in his hand. I love how good he is off the ball as well, though. Like he makes tough catch and shoot. He can do obviously dribble threes, but off screens and movement. Um, I think there was a back-to-back possessions in a game I watched. It was just like this is how do you guard this? So he comes off a corner to the top of the key off a ball screen, knocks down a three, not off a screen, off a pin down. And then the next possession, they top lock him. So he sets it up, goes back door, catches and one finish. And so I love that he has like that ability and comfortability to play off the ball, run off screens, catch and score off movement, and then do things with the ball in the hand after that. I think that makes a player so dynamic when they don't have to be just one or the other. I kind of enjoy some of these guys that have the art and the nuance of playing off the ball, using screens, going back door, those type of things as well. Yeah, no, I, I really love what I've seen from Brandon Miller this year. Clear first team all Rookie guy uh, would very clearly be the third best rookie in this class right now. Uh, the next guy that we're going to talk about 
is let's go to the Rockets because okay for to take people behind the curtain what made Bryce and I do this is because I really just wanted to talk about Amen Thompson <laughs> like straight up Amen Thompson has been fantastic over the course of the last 16 games he's averaging 11 points 8.3 rebounds 3.3 assists 1.4 steals one block in 25 minutes a night shooting 56 percent from the field uh the last 11 he's been at 13 9 and 3 uh one and a half uh steals 1.2 blocks 56 percent from the field again let's start here his defense is fucking outstanding he is unbelievable on defense He's not like Victor Wembanyama, unbelievable, but he is holy shit good on defense. So I feel like I took a lot of heat because I said that I thought Amin's defense was just as good as Asar's. Like I felt like coming into the draft, Asar was the better shooter and Asar was the better defender. You know, and Amin was like this jumbo creator that was a little more athletic, could play with the ball in his hand, those type of things. And I, I mean, I just... I didn't see a difference in their defense a lot of times. I, I thought a man had just as much upside and ability to defend as a SAR. Go ahead. That's the key word. He had, I thought he had more upside, if I'm being honest, than a SAR because he's twitchier. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we can go back to the draft guide again, right? Because, you know, I, I have these things written in uh, internet ink, right? So, uh, Thompson is a terrific defensive playmaker has a chance to be an all defense guy purely due to the athleticism, effort, and anticipation. If he can clean up the flaws, uh, plays extremely tight to his man and is disruptive, uh, plays hard at hundred miles per hour on this end, slows teams down, trying to initiate sets unsurprisingly an effective on ball defender because of this or off ball defender because of this, even if he's a significant gambler forces, aggressive havoc inducing decisions for the offense. We've seen that already. Uh, we'll just rip the ball away from offensive players on digs. We've seen that already. Uh, we'll attack passing lanes and get home with strong anticipation. You throw lazy cross-court passes when he's on the weak side, they're getting picked. Uh, one of the best shot-blocking guards I've evaluated. The weaknesses, though, for a man, the flaws defensively are real but entirely fixable. On the ball, as mentioned above, he plays very high and upright. He gets driven more often than you'd think. Smaller guards can get lower than him at the point of attack and out-leverage him with their strides. Uh, he also gets clipped on screens more often than you'd like to see that I actually think is like a real substantial improvement in like a significant way. I think he is like way better at not getting clipped on screens now than what he has been previously. Uh, loves to play as a roamer out on top and on the back line. His goal is to make action plays happen. Um, you know, all of this could be a function of playing OTE level competition where he and Asar were by far the top two players. Right. So, yeah. Again, like basically what it was, right? Like that's everything that we've seen. He is a fantastic, high energy, high motor defensive player. What I thought was different about him versus Asar on defense to compare the two. And again, like I can look this up while we're talking, but like I, I thought Asar was a little bit more steady on that end is maybe the way to put it. So like I, I, think I, I thought he was just a little bit like, you could trust him a little bit more to like, you know, not go haywire and make these like wild scramble reads and gamble. So I think that's where I was different than others or like my 
I thought Asar gambled just as much. I thought Asar got ball watchy just as much. I thought, like, I, I thought it, essentially I would have had him very similar in terms of defensive prospects because you could see the upside. You could see when they were engaged. You could see the motor, the like all of those things. I, and then people be like, well, a man gets a little bit lazy is not the right word, but you know, like ball watchy, those type of things. And I'm like, well, I can clip out just as many of us are doing the same thing. Or I felt that way. And then like you said, the differentiator, then if they are even like, I thought, I thought they were is a men is twitchier, more athletic, right? Like a men is a top 1% athlete in the NBA and a SAR is a top three to 4%, right? Like, but there's a little yeah. bit, there was a, always a little bit of a difference that gave a men a little bit of an upside when you're talking about things where athleticism is a major factor. And so I just, I definitely didn't have a SAR a, a step above a men whenever it just came to the defense. I didn't feel that way. So the clip I pulled for a men because I had to pull a clip for a men because the defense is just like wildly, wildly fun. Like this, this is just like pure tools to me, right? This is, it goes to show how absurd he is. So this is their game against the, I think the Suns recently where bull bull is going to catch this ball, empty side of the court, right? A man just like kind of crawls up into him and blocks <laughs> a bowl bowl jumper and then contests like another one after that into a miss. This dude blocked a shot from a seven foot three dude. And oh, by the way, like we can talk a lot about like bowl bowl having he jumps on this point. one. He jumps on this one too. He jumps on this one. And like the ball is like kind of behind his head yeah. when he's going to release. This is not the typical like out in front of his face, like bull bull release. This is like a real holy shit. Like he has blocked a seven foot two, seven foot three guys jumper. Like without even batting an eye. It was well, silly. Well, and I think the thing is, again, I think what we undervalue sometimes with these guys' ability to get off the floor is he was sliding side to side. And again, I know it's bull bull. It's not a lot of contact, but it's not like he just ran at a bull bull catch and shoot three on the perimeter, right? Like that wouldn't yeah, be or, crazy or like impressive. Caught one like in recovery from behind. Yes. Right? yes. Like, it was flat one-on-one side to side movement, a not like low release bull bull jumper. And just caught him. A standstill, true vertical jump, right? Like old school vertical, no running start, none of that type of stuff. And yeah, it's just like you said, the tools are just ridiculous. And if he's engaged and he's intense and the coaching staff kind of coaches him up in terms of like the foundational fundamental type of things, this is a scary, scary defensive prospect. And just in general with this Rockets team, the other defensive prospects, they have to go with him. So a man is also like a fantastic transition player. He's been a really good connector on offense. The shooting is like a serious concern. And, you know, we'll talk about that in terms of him hitting him hitting his upside momentarily. But like every time I watch him over the last month, realistically, and I said this on Twitter and it'd be interesting to hear your take. I think that this month-long stretch that we've seen from Amen Thompson in his rookie year is better than any month-long stretch I can remember from Jalen Green, point blank. Like, this is a rookie who is doing this and is, like, impacting 
high level winning basketball on some level because the Rockets are still like competitive every single night. It feels like for the most part, not every night, but like every night that Fred plays, frankly, they're like pretty competitive. I think he has been better this month at doing the things that help you win basketball games than Jalen Green has ever been. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I try to pull up like Jalen Green's just like monthly splits here just to kind of get some context. I mean, it's not fair to use his rookie season because that team was just so much different. Um, yeah, so as basketball Genesis says. In the month of March, he had a only a negative 2.4 plus minus in 17 games. Uh, shot 48, 40, 77 on 59% true shooting, 25% usage. So, like, I, I mean, I'm sure there is, but I understand where you're going with this, right? Like, just in terms of affecting yeah. winning basketball. I think the comparison so, is – go ahead. Yeah, like Jalen Green's best month as a player probably – is either November or March last year, right? Uh, in November last year, he averaged 22.8 points, shooting 60% true shooting percentage, had five assists per game. He is so deficient on defense that I think that I would just rather have a man basically averaging a double-double and playing elite defense. The, the argument is a men's deficiency on the offensive end in terms of floor spacing, right? Like sure. what, no, what, I, is, I don't what, is, what is more detrimental to winning? And there's always team construct calculations here. Jalen Green's defense, when he's being efficient, Sam, right? When he's being efficient offensively, is it Jalen Green's defense or when a man is playing at this level defensively, but he can't space the floor at all for you. To me, it's Jalen Green's defense because you can figure out ways to like have proper spacing on the court with a man on offense because he constantly fucking moves. Like he's screening, he's attacking the glass on the offensive end, he's sitting in the dunker spot from time to time. Like he's, you're figuring out a way to make the spacing work and make the defense like kind of pay attention to him even though it's not necessarily, you know, the shooting type of spacing, right? Well, uh, and you can also do it because Shingun can initiate offense and then you can have other floor spacers around him. So, Jay, or excuse me, Amin Thompson can occupy the traditional big spot. Like you can just go put him in the dunker, right? And, or, you know, run like a five, three pick and roll where he screens rolls and Shingun can throw him a lob, right? So because yep. Shingun has his skill set, because Jabari Smith Jr. is a floor spacer at the four, you can get away with the men being your whatever you call him, right? You know, whoever, depending on who yeah. else is on the floor, him being in those situations. So I, I say all of this to say, I think that we're hitting the point where the Rockets are going to have to make a switch. Uh, look, like Jalen Green like doesn't close every game, right? Like if he has it, they'll let him close. Great. If he doesn't, whatever, right? Like he sat, I think, the last like 18 minutes of that Phoenix game uh, and was not very good in that game. But then, you know, in the, I think it was like the Atlanta game, maybe like he had like 26 and kind of had it going, right? He's basically just kind of a like gunner that they, may like kind of says, okay, do you have it going? Okay. If you don't, I'm just going to sit you on the bench for the last 
12, you know, eight, 18 minutes of the game, depending on the situation. Sam is a min Thompson, all rookie team today on February 26, not, not projecting out today on February 26, where amongst rookies on the season, he's 16th in total minutes, 15th in points, sixth in rebounds, 10th in assists. I realize if we go another 20 games and he does what he's been doing, those numbers are going to balance out. Is he on February 26th, all rookie team? I don't think there's an argument for first team, right? Like not at all. Not right now. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no chance. Uh, It'd be close. I agree. My, my answer is it'd be close. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Like it'd be like him, Keontae, George, Scoot, like whatever you decide to do with Scoot kind of thing. And like Cam Whitmore, frankly, as well, would be in this conversation too. So uh, we, we should transition to Cam, by the way, okay. who has been yep. uh, also unbelievable as a scorer for the Houston Rockets. <laughs> Cam Whitmore in his last 12 games. Do you know how many minutes Cam Whitmore has played per game in his last 12? His last 12? Um, 20? He's played 20 minutes per game in his last 12. Do you know how many points per game he's averaging in that time? I'm going to say 14.3. He is averaging (laughs) 16.4 points per game in 20 minutes per game. 4.3 rebounds, 0.7 assists per game. We're going to have to do some work on that, Cam. Uh, We knew this. We knew this. 47, 38, 72. In double figures every game but one of those games off the bench. Uh, I think I think he came off the bench in all those games. I'm trying to use my memory now. Um, I watch, I feel like God, I probably watch half, you know, two-thirds of the Rockets games at this point because I find this whole thing fascinating. Um, like, it's incredible. It, it, he, he is a monster scorer. He is a like ridiculous, ridiculous scorer. Oh, by the way, there are like plays where you just, your brain wants to explode because he will just decide, Oh no, I'm just going to go. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and try and get a bucket now. And he'll like shoot an air ball or he'll like bang one off the opposite side of the glass. Like it's wild. His misses are really bad for somebody that is a good shooter at the end of the day. But my goodness, like he's averaging 16 points in 20 minutes a night. He can score the ball. We knew he could score the ball. Everybody questioned it so much. I'm like, it was one of those jumpers where it looked very repeatable. It looked very sustainable. I thought it made sense. And again, so we had this question and we didn't get to it on the draft uh, mailbag, which if you guys haven't listened or watched or whatever, go check that out. The last episode. And it was, who's the best athlete in the 2024 draft? And I like I had to think about it for a little while and come up with some names, and it would have been fun to debate. Maybe we'll do it later on next time we talk draft. My point was, in the 2023 draft, it was who? Amin and Asar, right? Everybody talked about Amin and Asar and their athleticism and all of this stuff, right? And then you had this crazy Victor Wimanyama, and then you had Scoot, who was a crazy athlete. Cam Whitmore's athleticism got lost in the shuffle. It got overlooked how athletic, yeah, how explosive he was, and it almost – 
I felt like it got lost in terms of his scout and what that was because you had these other physical specimens that people were talking about instead of him. And so it just, it, it didn't get talked about enough. He was so explosive of an athlete. He also was disrupted defensively with steals at times, those type of things, which shows some sort of feel for the game. I'm not saying he's going to be like a lockdown defender, although he does have the physical tools to do it, especially with his strength. But I think he can be a good, competent defender. And then you score the ball the way he does. I'm okay if you only average, you know, one and a half, two assists per game throughout your career. If you can do these other things that it looks like he may be able to do. Yeah. It really is going to come down to like what else can he add to his game he's not like terrible on defense like yeah he no. goes space cadet like off the ball from time to time but like he's strong he's physical he's athletic like he's capable of dealing with uh different matchups on that end i mean the passing is gonna have to improve and the off-ball defense is gonna have to improve but like he's a 20 point per game scorer like if he played 25 minutes a night he's a 20 point per game scorer in the nba right now this Rockets team is so interesting, man. Like the young talent, what they do with the young talent, kind of the the collection of it, how it all ends up getting put together. Like it's really interesting. It's really exciting. And it's going to be fascinating to see the path they take with these guys. Yeah. And Brian K brings up Cam is going to be a more physical Jalen Brown, but I think some limitations will prevent him from being a legit top 20 player. He's so young. Who knows though? Uh, Jalen has always been my comp for him. So like, that's always been the name that I've brought up. That's always been the guy that he's reminded me of uh, is Jalen Brown. Uh, so that that's the, that's the thing. Like if you made me pick, does Cam Whitmore make an all-star game? I think he will. My answer is yes. I think he will. Um, Still Dre, we talked Brandon Miller for like 10 minutes, uh, like 30 yeah. minutes ago. So, so please, the, there was plenty of Brandon Miller. He was the third person spoke about and we, consensusly said that he was the third best rookie in the NBA this year. So Brandon yeah. Miller's getting loved by the game theory podcast. Okay. Uh, do you want to go here? I'll give you the option here. The guys that are like rotation players on good semi good teams, Derek lively, case Wallace, Jaime Hawkes, Brandon Pajemski, which of those four do you want to talk about first? I want to talk about pods. I think let's let's okay. start with pods. So what I've liked about Brandon Pajemski recently, particularly, A, he's just like an essential player for them. We'll yeah. see how that changes over the course of, because I think Chris Paul's coming back now. So yeah. over the course of the next couple of weeks, like, let's see what it looks like, I guess. But over the course of the last 18 games, he's playing 31 minutes a night for them. He's averaging 12 points, 6.7 rebounds, five assists in 32 minutes a night. But what I've particularly loved about Pajemski is that he's only shooting 34% from three yeah. in that time. And you might say, like, why do I like that he's only shooting 34% from three? I love the fact that he's proven so impactful and so important to them that you have to play him yeah. like you can't like, like he is good even when the shot is not falling he is valuable to them even when the shot is not going and to me that's almost like the most important thing that could have happened for him this year is prove and look like i still have many questions on defense in terms of what he's going to look like uh i think that he is going to get attacked uh in big moments and he does from time to time even still 
he is still exceptionally valuable. Sam Mitchell in the comments brings up he's a little Goran Dragicci. I have not thought about that name for him. It's a little bit different, but it's not like terrible. It's not a bad name for him in terms of like skill set. He moves off the ball a little bit differently. Goran was more of like a true point guard, whereas Pods is like a combo that just flies around and does different stuff. But like lefty, incredible touch, like great floater game, plays really hard. I kind of get the idea of it in that way. Uh, I'm, you know, relative, like I I see no reason to not be high on Brandon Pajemski. I think he's been uh, really, really good this year. First team all rookie for you. So I would have right now the three we talked about, and then it's just, who are your other two? Wemby, Chet, Miller, for sure. You have pods, you have Hawkes, you have lively. Th- those are the three. I, I wouldn't have case in his first team. Um, I probably would. Yeah. I'd probably have pods first team all rookie right now. I do as well. And, and a lot is because like, he's just stepped into this role. He's third in minutes among rookies since January 1st. All of the things you talked about, what I'm interested to watch off or excuse me, defensively is, is he going to be heady enough and have a good enough feel for the game to just get to the right spots, cut off guys because he anticipates the angle and he gets there. Can he just have enough energy to get where he needs to go? He's going to get cooked in straight isolation situations, right? Like if you get a switch yeah. on him and, you know, he's guarding somebody that's a six, a, you know, power wing or something like that, he's going to, he's going to lose, right? Like he just is, but can he just learn to navigate scheme screens, excuse me, well enough, cut off angles, play hard. He's like already this like pesky charge taker. That's annoying to everybody coming down the lane because of course he is. The Warriors team has talked about the energy he brings and how important that is to him. And I I think he ended up in a really good spot because he can play kind of that warrior offensive system where he knows to move the ball and then go screen for Steph and then, you know, right into like the ball doesn't stick. I'm going to ask you again to go the draft guide. The shooting hasn't been great so far this year. Even the free throw percentage isn't great. Now he's not a high volume free throw shooter. I don't remember having concerns about the jumper coming out of college and maybe there still shouldn't be. Are you surprised? I guess is my question that he's, he's still 38% on the year. There's no reason to go into that. It's just the free throw percentage. That's a a little wonky right now. And he's only been 33% from three since, since the beginning of the year. So it's too early to have that conversation. So yeah, so let's uh, let's go to the draft guide and have a laugh at Sam right now. <laughs> well, let's do that. So I pods at 42 on Sam, our first um, phone conversation ever. We talked a lot about Brandon Pajimski. We did, and I was not a fan really. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's if we're going to talk about me getting stuff right, which we did a little bit early on with the Thompsons, let's have fun and talk about stuff where I was a dipshit. Sam Vecini uh, carries his own receipts, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Take note, everybody on Twitter. Sam Vecini carries his own receipts. The rest of us oh, can too. Yeah, I, I I enjoy doing this. 
Uh, so truly it's all about how badly you think the athletic deficiencies will hold back pods on the defensive end. I buy him completely as an elite shooter from distance, but can he prove that he can guard anybody? His instincts on that end aren't bad, but tools matter in the NBA on defense. When you're going up against six foot six plus primary creators with great length that are elite athletes, someone like Austin Reeves, who has turned into a reasonable NBA defender, not so much this year, uh, had been previously, uh, had much more fluid hips. Pods needs to find a way to get more athletic, in my view. Otherwise, he's going to get Hunter on the defensive end almost every time down the court in the NBA. Uh, he's also almost wholly going to be a perimeter player in the NBA. Best case scenario here is somebody like Luke Kennard, if you really buy into the touch and overall Hooper feel. Uh, but even Kennard, I think, was a silkier athlete with a quicker shot release. Pods has an elite skill in NBA shooting and touch. Uh, but I also think he has real deficiencies. He needs to fix to stay on an NBA court and take advantage of those skills. Just like looking through this, right? The thing that I think I did not write about undervalued, you know, fucked up with pods in the eval, right? Is just the overall feel, right? I always do that. Like, you know, knows for a basketball plays with a high motor, great rebounder, you know, great hand eye coordination. Um, you know, just like looking through here, uh, like moves well off the ball, passes well off of his drives, uh, throws live dribble passes with both hands. Like all of that stuff is there and all that stuff is real. But what I think I like way undervalued is just like, he he's like pretty outlier in terms of processing and feel. Yeah. Um, it, it's not, it's not just like, oh, yeah, like he's fine in terms of feel like he's a plus feel player. No, he he's like outliery good in terms of feel. And yeah, well, I think that, too, along with the energy, right? Like he's a skilled player who has this feel awareness IQ and then he just plays incredibly hard. Like I, yeah. I, I reference him in his rebounding all the time in terms of he was such a good rebounder at the guard position. It was talked a lot yeah. about in his scouting report and it has translated at least a little bit. What is he? He's fifth amongst rookies, Sam in rebounds yeah. per game. And so it's something that's translated. And a lot of that is just kind of energy effort playing with enthusiasm and intensity. Well, what I think I probably over-indexed on is this section here. Production-wise, Pajemski did struggle much more against good teams than he did against average or bad teams in six this. games against what Ken Palm defines as Tier A teams. Pods had a below-average 53.5 true shooting percentage. His defensive rebounding rate dropped by a quarter, as did his assist rate. So basically, like, he also really struggled from two-point range. Like, th that's where, like, I thought, I'm somebody as an evaluator that tends to really value like playing other good teams and players and like what you look like against good defenses and things like that um, at the expense of, you know, so like a great example of this is Vonimir Avisic, right? Sure. So Avisic, you know, goes off for 18 yeah. points and has eight rebounds and four blocks against Alabama this weekend. Like when I watched that game, I think, 15 of the 18 points or 13 or something like that were against Alabama when the game was already 25 points or more in terms yeah. of score differential. And it's just like, well, that's like not real basketball at that point, guys. That's just like not like it's not high leverage moments. The problem with the visa has always been the high leverage moments. Like, can you trust him to make the right rotations? Can you trust him to like not 
make crazy decisions? Can you trust him to hold up in ball screen coverages? Can you trust him to screen and get his guy free? Can you trust him to like execute what you need him to execute? Uh, we didn't learn anything about that this weekend. We always have known that he can like get buckets in low leverage situations and do things like that with pods. What I think I didn't know and probably over indexed on the side of not knowing was, could he do this against good teams? Sure. Especially given the context of coming from Illinois and like not playing at all, Illinois. That those are the toughest ones, right? Like there's a kid right now that I've been keeping a close eye on that transferred. And, and every, when I bring him up, every time people say, well, what happened at this school? Why didn't he play there? What, I was like, mm-hmm. there's so much context behind these things. And so that's, that was the thing with pods, right? Like, okay. Yeah. He goes to Santa Clara and he goes crazy. Well, why couldn't he even get, get on the floor at Illinois? And you don't want to just immediately blame coaching staffs or whatever. Like there's just so much context into this stuff. And so it, but it's hard. Like it, it's, it's fair to index that in some regard, don't you think? Like it's fair to say yeah. Brandon Pajimski struggled against higher level division one competition and wasn't able to play his freshman season at Illinois and transferred to quote unquote a lower level where then he, you know, was cooking. And I think it's fair to have that as a part of the equation. It's just like, how do you decide what's real, what's not, and, and how much intel and all of that stuff can you get behind some of those decisions and reasons and all of that? Yeah, no, I think that's dead on. Um, you know, just trying to, you have to weigh all of these factors and index all of these factors. And it's funny because like pods particularly is a player that I absolutely like typically love, like, you know, from talking to me, like, and yeah. talking about prospects all these years that like, super high feel super high skill like there's a reason that i'm as high as i am on reed shepherd this year yeah right um super high feel super high skill love those guys those are like my favorite types of players for the most part as long as they meet like requisite athletic like benchmarks kind of and i didn't think pods game like functionally when he played at santa clara met those i think as well and I was just wrong. Like at the end of the day, like at pods pods is going to be like a really big miss for me. I yeah. think like he's going to be awesome. Um, and people, you know, evaluators miss all the time. Uh, it's just fun to figure out why. And like, you know, I, I have no problem doing this like on air and like publicly explaining yeah. why I missed on pods. Cause what the hell? Like, I don't, doesn't bother well, me. My, um, my thing is the only time I ever get frustrated is when people question the work ethic. Like, you know, you're, you, you are deeper in this. Oh, than, than me. You're like, yeah, no, like, I mean, like, don't, don't question the work ethic and how, but uh, now, now like what, what I, what I will say about pods is like, I still probably would be like a little bit lower on him than consensus uh, in terms of like, if we were redrafting these guys, sure. right. I, I would absolutely have him the lottery somewhere. Like no, no questions asked, but like, you know, definitely taking Wemby over him, definitely taking Brandon Miller over him, definitely taking uh, Cam Whitmore over him, like no question asked, really. Uh, this is one that would be like kind of wild. Like I would definitely take the bet on Gigi Jackson over him right now. I wondered about that. Yeah, just because six nine wing that has shown like he can play on an NBA court, like that's the guy that you take. I, I still would take Scoot over him. Like I think Scoot's role and like what he's being asked to do is like way more difficult than what Pods is. Lively's um, an interesting one because that falls more into team context. Falls into team context. I would definitely take a man over him. So like I one, may. two, three, four, 
five. I don't know if I'd take Jaime. It's an interesting question. Um, like Koulibaly is an interesting one. I don't know yet. Like I'd probably have pods like in the eight to ten range ish, like something like that. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, I mean, Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks probably wouldn't take those guys, even though they kind of fit the archetype of what you're looking for. Uh, Lively. Keontae George? Probably not. I probably wouldn't take Lively. So that's it's five. I wouldn't take Keontae over him. I probably would take the... I don't know, man. Bilal's been like very limited this year. I, I Whenever I was preparing for this, I didn't realize kind of the struggles this year it just efficiency all of that uh, it, it was a little more Maybe, than what i realized yeah like seven to ten for pods probably like so, something like that seven to ten so maybe i am a little bit higher than what i thought uh, so like let, let's talk about hawkes now too because hawkes is an interesting conversation um and people have brought up leonard miller I mean, like, I would love to take Leonard and I love Leonard unconditionally, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, Jaime Jaquez, I think, like, I saw people saying that, like, Jaquez should go top three in a redraft after a month or so. And I think those people have, like, a real, like, lack of context surrounding what Jaime's issues have always been. Jaquez always has struggled with these like lower body injuries. Like his ankle injuries have always been an issue. Like right now, you know, he's just getting back from this groin injury. Jaquez, you know, made the dunk contest this year on the basis of his athleticism, like being back and like throwing down dunks and like, being able to cut and like finish at the rim and like do all these like very athletic things. Right. Right now he's dealing with a groin injury at UCLA. He dealt with uh, ankle injuries pretty consistently. And that's where like his lack of separation ability struggled uh, in those moments. And realistically now, like we're kind of at the point where, I think like three of his last four years, like he's kind of struggled with injuries like this in some way, shape or form. So, and if you look at like the production since he's dealt with this groin injury, it's hard. Um, you know, he's in his last 11 games since he's been back, he's averaging 8.3 points, four rebounds, 2.1 assists, shooting 37, 15, 76. To me, it's not like rookie wall. It's like the, it's the what happens to him when he deals with these like injury kind of situations in his lower half and how that impacts his game. That's why, like, I've never gotten the oh my god, like, this is a top five pick in a redraft stuff. Like, he's older and like these things tend to come for him in a real way. So, I hate it. Like, I love watching Jaime Hawkins play. Like, um, like the the term I used in the rookie rankings a while ago was like, he's like the best version of a basketball vulture. Like he just finds his way into open buckets all the time by picking up scraps, like cutting back door when guys make mistakes or getting offensive rebounds and you know, doing these like weird little mid post, like step throughs and things like that. I, I have loved Jaime Hawkins for years upon years. He's been one of my favorite players to watch for the last four years. Like I, I love watching him play, but this is the concern for Hawkes moving forward is can he 
when he gets these little lower body things, can he maintain his level of play and recovery after them? Yeah. No, I mean, he's been really and, good. Go I want to stop here real quick. I'm sorry. A big piece of it too, by the way, is like this dude is tough as shit. And like he plays through it all for the most part too. And that's why like the production also becomes a concern. Yeah. No, I mean, like I was a little, I knew the production had changed over the year, but then as I was again, doing the numbers for the whole season compared to the numbers since January 1st, like even the minutes and where he ranks amongst rookies and minutes was completely different. And so we've talked about the awareness and the IQ and all of those things. I think a really good player in terms of fulfilling a role and a guy that if he can stay healthy, like you said, is going to fill that role on some really good teams throughout his career. I don't think he has the, you know, the upside of a lot of these other guys, as Mr. Ray says, like some guys just are injury prone. I know people hate that. Maybe it's not like, it just does seem like some players end up dealing with these type of things and, and can't elude them. And they just have to yeah. deal with them over and over. And as you have outlined and, and no fault of his own, it's hard to get past those, you know, and for some guys it's a little bit harder or maybe it takes a little bit longer to get back into your rhythm. So um, had an amazing start to the season and I mean, still had a really quality rookie season, you know, here, as we said on Monday night, but it'll be interesting just to kind of track that through the rest of the year, how effective he can be, if he can stay involved for the rest of the season into a playoff run and all of that for the heat. Um, but yeah, definitely, not quite what it was whenever things were just booming at the beginning of the season. Definitely. Uh, let, let's talk about lively. Now I uh, just continues okay. to be solid. Like he's still yeah. starting over Daniel Gafford. Gafford's getting like a few more minutes per game. It feels like um, in their, you know, two post all-star games that they've played. Uh, you know, it feels like as well, the bigger issue for those two is that Maxi Kleba is back and they really look comfortable like playing with Maxi at the five. So it was interesting. We talked about like these 48 minutes of good center play from Lively and Gafford. And then I checked a box score the other day and I was like, hold up. Oh, they're playing like 35, which is great. Truthfully though, like that's really important because they can both play 18 minutes, like hard as hell. And then they can close with, Kleba or whatever they wanted but like my thing has always been the versatility that this brings like when we talk yeah, about sure. it like when we did the trade deadline thing it was okay they can go 48 minutes of bigs or you can go Kleba you can go PJ you can go one of those two with like smaller players you can go two of them and go smaller like that's why I think the functionality of it really really works in an interesting way well, that's what when we talked about PJ Washington versus Kyle Kuzma for them, I think you brought up how PJ maybe made more sense because of the ability to go small with PJ at the five if they really wanted to. And obviously now with Maxi healthy, he he can do that. But no, I mean he he's in a role that this team needed and he does it really, really well, right? Like he's not asked to do anything more than that, be a rim gravity guy, catch lobs, offensive rebounds. He rebounds at a high rate, he defends the rim. He plays with energy. He blocks some shots. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, like, what can continue to grow. Like, how 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 far yeah. can the passing go? How much of a, you know, when, when Luca's getting doubled at 45 feet, can Lively be the catch, one-two dribble, make a pass out of it whenever he needs to be in those situations? You know, like, how much can yep. he do those things to continue to grow his game? Yep, that's dead on. Like, honestly... 
I don't have a ton to say about Derek that we haven't said on previous episodes. <laughs> like the game yeah. is just so simple for him, right? Like it's yeah. we're gonna rim run. I will say this, like obviously, like the passing flashes have shown, you know, occasionally throughout the course of this season. I also thought in the first quarter against the Suns, if I remember correctly, they put uh, KD on him and we're using KD as like a roaming kind of okay. help guy a little bit. Uh, sure. And in those moments, what I thought were really, really impressive was that they would throw to Lively in the corner and Lively had like one moment particularly where like he put the ball in the deck twice and just like covered ground quickly and just went and like was good and that was fun so if he can like even do that where like he can just be seven foot one put the ball in the deck twice drive and finish against guys that like can't play off of him that's like a real value add that could allow him to play in the playoffs even more than like dan gafford where gafford is going to be like their physical like matchup guy against guys like Jokic, you know things like that but like against other teams like dallas or like oklahoma city for instance they probably need somebody like Lively who can be like more versatile in the ball screen coverages. And, you know, with Maxi, for instance, um, you know, more versatile in ball screen coverages. Yep. No, I agree. It's, I, I hate to discredit him because the segment or the conversation is a little bit shorter, but he just isn't doing quite as many intricate things, even though the role he's feeling is important. It is valuable. It's impactful. All of those things. Yeah. And like, honestly, I feel the same way about case and Wallace. Like every time I watch case sure. Wallace, I'm just like, this is just an NBA player. Like yeah. he is so solid there. There like might not be a more solid, like steady rookie rotation role player. Like forget the guys like Miller, Wemby, you know, that have, you know, come through and taken up a bunch of usage, everything like that. Right. There might not be like a more solid, steady role playing, like guard wing, whatever that I've seen come through the league in a while than what Kaysen is like even more so than like pods. Like I know that, and like, I think pods has been a little bit better than this, but like, it's, it's, it's a different role in some way. Like Kaysen is really good on defense. He makes every single right rotation. He is super physical at the point of attack. He can guard up the lineup. He makes his shots from three when they're given to him. He never turns the ball over, like literally never turns the ball over, makes the right passing reads. Like you can just see that you see this guy who's like capable of a lot and is also just like happy playing and like getting the minutes and like understanding, Hey, like this is what I'm being asked to do and I'm executing it at an exceptionally high level. Like I'm a seven year veteran. Yeah, no, I think what you just said there, some people in the comments are bringing it up is what is the upside. But I think I like seeing that he's only asked to fill this role right now to help him grow and kind of acclimate to the NBA. And then just the willingness to fill the role the way he has I'm fascinated when he makes all NBA rookie team to see what some people respond to that because the numbers will not pop. Like just as rookies, 10th in minutes, 18th in points, 18th in three-point attempts, he is shooting at 42%, you know, 2.3 rebounds, 1.4 assists, less than a steal, less than half a block. Like he's going to make second team all rookie, I think. I, I think he's probably going to. And – I will be really interested to see how people react to that who aren't super tuned in to the Thunder or haven't really watched him play and the role and how efficiently he does it because 
the numbers don't wow you. You do truly have to watch the game. Yes, the efficiency looks good, Sam, but you really have to watch the game to see what he does defensively, how they utilize, like shout out Mark Dagnall for like the creative ways in which they use him. Like he doesn't just stand in the corner and shoot threes. I've seen him using like a short roll situation. Like they just do a lot of fun things with him, which that offense is fun to watch in general. So yep. yeah, sh- shout out Kaysen for what he's done, filling that role. And again, now I'm just kind of excited to see what's next for him. Like, what does he do in the playoffs, right? He may become very important in the playoffs, depending on how some of these other guys shoot the ball, those type of things. And then how can he can continue to, to grow his role? Uh, next group, Keontae, George, Jordan Hawkins. And, and then we'll talk about the Detroit guys maybe as well within this. Do we have crew. to? Uh, yeah, unfortunately we do. Uh, Keontae has been like really, really interesting to me. I think that over his last 11 games, he's been fantastic. Uh, you look through the numbers, 15 points, three rebounds, 4.4 assists versus only 2.2 turnovers, 46% from the field, 40% from three, 81% from the line, uh, has been really, really good. But it's like, if you look like game by game, almost like it's more, uh, it's more roller coastery than that. Right. Like, uh, I, I remember I watched, oh, what game was it? I think it was, oh, I'm trying to remember. might have been like Golden State maybe where Utah got like kind of blown out before the All-Star game. Um, and like he was, like you like couldn't play him much. It was the first game that he started uh, since they moved him back into the starting lineup and it just felt like it was really, really rough for him, right? And then, you know, two games later, he goes out and drops 33 on 22 shots against the same golden state team, right. That he struggled with. And that was the uh, game before the all-star break. So it, it's roller coastery with Keontae. He is asked to do a lot. He's asked to, uh, especially now, like he's basically playing point for them a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, we're seeing similar things with scoot as we are with Keontae. Right. And we haven't talked about scoot. We should throw scoot into this group as well, but, um, yeah, like we're we're seeing similar things. Like it's it's a roller coaster for Keontae. If you take away, you know, if you go before those eleven game stretches uh, that I just talked about, if you look at his previous five, it was six points in eighteen minutes a night shooting, twenty two, twenty eight, ninety. Right. Uh, then you look at the you know ten preceding games before that or something like that. Uh, you know, eleven points, thirty eight, thirty two, eighty seven. But the last 11 or 12 have, has been really good and I've enjoyed seeing Keontae, you know, kind of be able to step into this role at least. And I like that Utah is giving him an opportunity to do this. Uh, now, like to me, it seems like they're kind of punting a little bit on the play in. Right. Sure. Like, does it seem that way to you? Kind of seems that way to me, right? Like they're they're still only like, you know, two games back in the win column, but the problem is they're four games back in the loss column. They're like three and a half back of or three back of Golden State now in the play-in race. But you know, probably more important for them to get minutes into Keontae and Taylor than to like make this pick transfer at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Keontae is an interesting one because I'm still going back and forth between like nuclear score or 
true point guard? Like, is he a primary initiator? Like, I guess I always thought him like kind of an off the ball, like bucket getter, really shoot it. But it seems like they're trying to play him a little bit more like primary initiator. Like, I have come away impressed with his passing in games that I've watched. Yeah, I've always thought more like Jamal Murray is the vision. Okay. For him. Where yeah. like you want to have him probably with like a real initiator on the court, but can play point next to a real initiator, like a good enough ball handler playmaker to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I may have missed that a little bit with him where I just saw more of the scoring, the shooting, even though it wasn't always crazy efficient, like you say, it could be a little bit of a roller coaster, but just, you know, the, the yeah. numbers since January 1st, 43 from the field, 36% from three and 89% from the free throw line, getting to the line over two and a half times a game on the season. And, you know, he's right there amongst rookies and assists. So again, I think a lot of the games I watch, you know, I go and look at the notes and it's, you know, the, the passing doesn't just like blow me away, but it stands out in terms of this guy can pressure the rim a little bit or pressure the paint, pressure the defense, and then spray the ball yep. to guys that can score. So um, it, that's been good to see. I think defensively it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe maybe the less we talk about uh Keontae on defense the better uh but he's a rookie so like I don't really want to spend a ton of time on his defense uh maybe let's do Scoot now because okay. Scoot you know is another one of these like point guards that is being asked to do a bunch of stuff right and it fits with uh Keontae so six games prior to what I believe is like being referred to as like an abdominal muscle injury here for Scoot, 18 points, three rebounds, five assists on 43, 40, 95. Uh, in those six games, you know, which I watched three of them, felt like he was like kind of living at the foul line, getting to his spots in the paint, like where he wanted, when he wanted. Uh, taking pull-up threes like pretty confidently. That's the thing about Scoot this year. Like he's been really good as this pull-up three-point shooter the problem has been off the catch yeah i like, just can't buy a bucket off the catch which isn't a surprise he's never played off the ball in his life but has been able to hit pull-up threes like i think he's hitting like 39 percent of his pull-up threes this year also in those six games only 2.3 turnovers per game so you know you're talking about a guy that like had kind of figured out a little bit more of the pace of the game now that was a six game sample in the 14 games before that 11 points, three rebounds, four assists on 35, 30, 75. But then in the 14 games before that, 15, three and five on 39, 35, 83 with only three turnovers. Like it's just a roller coaster. It's up and down for Scoot. And it felt like the game literally right before he suffered this injury, unfortunately, they were like going to give him the keys and just say like, let's go. Like, let's see what you got. Let's let it rock a little bit. Look, I'm now at the point where, like, I think I'm okay with Scoot's, like, shooting. Like, actually, like, pull-up shooting. I'm, like, much more worried about the finishing. And I tend to think that guys like him who get to their spots, who have real length, who have real athleticism, they tend to figure out, especially stronger guys, like, they can use their frames. I think that they can figure out the finishing. I'm still not that worried about Scoot based off of what I've seen. I know that like the advanced numbers say he's like a total catastrophe, but like it really is a deal. Like when you watch the games, like he's really getting to whatever spot he wants to. 
and he just can't get the final product right right now. And the thing that I believe you can fix more than everything else is kind of that final product. Like you can fix the finishing tools. You can fix the shooting. You can fix like you get more comfortable as you get more reps with decision-making on top of it. The more that we go through this ignite reality that is like a total mess. I really am starting to think that college basketball gets these kids more ready than the ignite does uh, to play NBA basketball. Like you can talk about the spacing. You can talk about this. You can talk about that. But like this ignite team had like no shooters surrounding scoot really for the most part outside of John Jenkins, who was there last year as well, I believe. Yeah. They like, don't really get these guys like super ready on defense. It feels like, cause they're just like a bunch of kids running around who don't know how to play defense for the most part. And they shouldn't, I'm not blaming the kids for that. And even like in terms of like on ball reps, like I feel like because the G league doesn't have the size that, you know, the NBA does and doesn't have the condensed paint that college basketball does. I actually wonder if you don't know how good these guys are. Uh, Let me rephrase. I wonder if you get better reps in college learning how to finish because you're in a crowd more consistently, potentially. And learning how to navigate that stuff, finish. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. It'd be interesting to kind of track and how guys have come in as finishers. I think there's three things, and, and these are things that you said and then here in the comments as well. Like getting to his spots. Like when you're saying that, I have it in my notes for Scoot as well. If he's getting to his spots as a rookie, I'm okay with it. Like I'm like you. I would rather work with a kid or have to wonder about a kid figuring out the end result than with a kid, how do I get him to that spot? How do I, you know, are they going to be able to get there? Mr. Ray said as well, we just talked about this last episode. We all said, or me and you said, I assume everybody agreed with us, maybe not, that this point guard lead initiator position was the hardest translation in the NBA. I said it, you adamantly agreed with it, and that's what Scoot is having to do. And not only that, Sam, he's having to do it through injury. Like I've watched, again, with the Pistons, these guys come in, Kate Cunning, you know, deal with injuries earlier in their careers, and you just don't get in a rhythm. And then where was the... Oh, and then the other thing was like the generational tag that was put on him from the beginning. I never thought Scoot was generational anyway, not in, not in the same way that that Wimbenyama was. Like it just that was completely unfair. But that well, doesn't. I, and look, I'll, I'll take I'll take some hit for that. Like I had Scoot as a tier one player. Um, I didn't have him like in like the generational tier. Yeah, exactly. I had him as like a real, you know, like I. I believed he was going to be an all NBA player, like sure. at some point in his career. And I, like, I wouldn't rule that out based on this rookie season, but he's coming from a lower place than what I thought he would maybe is a fair way to put it. But saying that a kid or a prospect, maybe a first, you know, an all NBA player, that's completely different than saying generational, right? Like there is different, ex- there should have been different expectations on Victor and what, he could be long-term, not just in his rookie year, but that was a generational prospect and generational talent based off his size, sure. length, skills, all of that. Scoop wasn't that. If nothing else, he's you know six foot two or whatever. So I think the shooting thing is interesting to me in terms of 
I've watched a lot of players who were good off the bounce who never were able to translate it to the catch because there's a certain rhythm when you shoot off the dribble that you just are comfortable with. And it's not that easy to then just do it off the catch. Like there's just a different rhythm and flow to that. And so that will be something because he will have to be able to play off the ball a little bit, like catch and shoot, knock down shots that way. But like, I'm not, I'm not freaking out about this at all. Like I, I think yeah. we've seen enough flashes in his rookie season to not panic. Hopefully he's healthy the off season, all of that. And we come back and next year, if we have similar concerns, some of that stuff, then okay, we can start to have a conversation. From Aiden W24, thanks for the super chat, Aiden. Any quick thoughts on Simon's sharp scoot as like a combo? Simon's hasn't looked great. Need another season to assess? Trade Simon's question mark. I mean, Anthony got hurt earlier this year, and like I, I tend to be like pretty forgiving with like shot first guards as they come back from injuries like that. But again, like, you know, guys get hurt in the NBA and it's a real concern, right? Uh, and being able to be impactful in some way, shape or form when you're dealing with injury is important, but you know, like Ant has been, you know, kind of what he was last year, even, even so with that, I think the thing with Ant is that he just like, didn't take the jump that what uh, a lot of us thought he might this year as a scorer. And, you know, he's done that. And that has happened in large part because of like real injury concerns. And look, this is coming off of, you know, three games where Ant's been quite poor when, you know, the eight games before that he averaged 26, six and a half assists and shot 49, 39, 96, right? Like Anthony Simons is an unbelievable scorer. I I still think he's going to score. The the question is like, what is the fit of Scoot and Simons long-term? I mean, I think you kind of have to run them back and just let it go until you figure out which of these two is more of a realistic building block. The other piece of it with Simons is despite the fact that Ant is still only 24 years old, which is wild, uh, he only has, I believe, two more years on his uh, extension that he's Two more years. Correct. Yep. So, like, the clock is ticking on Ant in, like, a concerning way, and you but, like, you don't know enough about him to extend him right now, but you also don't know enough about the fit to extend him, but he also might be, like, a real dude because he's just going to be 25 next year he's a really tricky one and then you know Shaden is the guy that like I've been a little bit more disappointed in even beyond Simons this year like Shaden has been fine for the most part but the defense hasn't really improved and yeah if you look at the box score number he's averaging like 16 5 and 3 and everything like that but it doesn't feel efficient in any way shape or form it feels like it's really really hard for him to get to his spots Again, another guy that like got hurt, so you don't want to, you know, go over the moon here. But like he wasn't playing super great before he had that ab injury and was struggling. And by the way, what's going on in Portland with ab injuries? Like, let's figure that shit out, guys. <laughs> um, is there a world where these three grow together, though? Like, I mean, I think that's what. Or is there always going to be pick two and then one gets moved? Do you, do you foresee a world where these three can coexist in Portland? Yes. Okay. Probably mm. not. I, I don't think it's, it's not the high, it's not the best chance outcome, but there is a chance, right? And that's what YouTube I, I, said. Could you play sharp at the three? 
you know, and, and make it work that way and then stagger from there? I think my answer is you would need sh- like the swing skill here more than anything is like Shaden becoming a good defender. Sure. Okay. If Shaden becomes yeah. like a great defender, it actually solves a lot of issues for them. Yeah. The problem is that right now I don't think he's a very good defender. And he's young, like and like he didn't play any like college basketball. He entered the NBA immediately. Like that was hard. But like man, Shaden needs to like th- this was a this was a step back from like the late season Shaden we saw sure. last year. And look, like, you know, it was barely basketball at the end of the season. Like that's the way that works. But uh yeah, I expected a little bit more efficiency and like defensive growth from Shaden this year, I guess I would say. Yeah. And I guess the answer is question for me is like, I would still want to bring those guys all back next year and kind of figure it out because of all the things you just totally. talked about. Like every one of these guys has been injured. Um, you know, maybe you have enough, you know, you still have Jeremy Grant there at the four. So like you have, you know, you have some other talent around them so you can, have those guys and then you can figure out what these three guys are or are not what they can be, what they can't be those things before you, I I just don't think you would like want to make a decision this summer. And we talked about this with other teams. They're not up against it this summer. You do still have two years on Simon's contract, obviously rookie deals for sharp and scoot. So just play the off season upgrade your rock roster, how you can in other ways, but figure out what those three guys have um, you know, definitely no reason to make some, you know, move right now. All right. Jordan Hawkins up next, uh, you know, continues to be a sharp floor spacer when he plays for the Pelicans for the most part, like he's been, it's hard to say he's like consistently been in their rotation, but like, you know, since the all-star break, he's been in their rotation, which is good. Uh, didn't play the last two games before the all-star break. And then, in you know three games prior to that he had two minutes two minutes seven minutes ten minutes you know then at 23 one game then at nine like willie green kind of yo-yos it a little bit with them moving zion like more consistently to like playing like a pseudo like point guard role i actually do wonder if it could make sense to play him more and like play him consistently which they've been doing you know since the all-star break he really chucked up a bunch in that Miami game and it did not go well. Uh, he had went four for 17 and he hasn't looked great since the all-star break, but yeah, I mean, he can shoot like that's the reality. Yeah. I mean, I pegged him as the best shooter in the class. I felt pretty comfortable with that because of what he could do movement. Like this kid does not lack for confidence. And if you need a floor spacer, he is, he's a guy that's going to be able to do that. So it will be, and here's the thing, like you talk about how the minutes yo-yo, that's not easy for a guy whose primary skill is shooting the ball and spacing the floor. You know, those guys like to have the little yeah. bit of their rhythm and flow and continuity with that. And so I, I think that again, just shows the kind of confidence he has. So I, I'm, I'm always Jordan Hawkins was actually like, quote unquote, my guy in this class last year. I just kind of fell in love with his game and, and what he could do. And it, again, it was aesthetically pleasing to watch him run off screens and the nuance, nuance, excuse me, in the way in which he did it. And so I'm a huge fan. And if he is able to provide that floor spacing with, you know, point Zion and everything else they have, I think they have the right guy for it. 
the defense has to continue to grow. He's got to find ways to make impacts on that end because he is going to be a little bit deficient just with his overall like size in terms of how, you know, way and strong he is. So Mr. Ray says it reminds me of buddy healed. Uh, so I agree with you. It reminds me of buddy too, in terms of like the style of play. He's nowhere near the shooter, Buddy is. is. Um, and that's like not a, shot at Jordan Hawkins it's a buddy healed is probably one of the five best shooters in basketball history uh that's the reality of who buddy has been throughout the course of his career that's like the standard though is like but that's how good you have to be to get to buddy's level you have to be one of the truly great shooters in league history uh, to be able to play at that level so it's hard it's really really hard let's go to the Pistons guys. real quick I'm just uh, gonna give you Buddy Hield also scored 25 points a game in his last year at Oklahoma. Like this Buddy was like a insane scorer and had one of the most outrageous performances at Fog Allen Fieldhouse any opposing players ever had. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor on the Pistons guys. Uh just <laughs> go ahead. Attack Asar Thompson and uh Marcus Sasser. Yeah, I mean, Asar has found his footing a little bit in terms of like he's had to like play the four because he can't shoot. The three-point percentage is not good. Um, the defensive playmaking was really there at the beginning of the season. It's tailed off just a little bit. I think he is a good quality defender, but it's just it's it's been a little bit weird because he is a complete non-shooter, and then the Pistons have a complete non-shooting five-man in Duran, and then for whatever reason, they're playing Wiseman exclusively at the five off the bench. And so like, it just really crushes spacing. Like you literally do not have to guard him. And my thing with the SAR is he hasn't quite figured out the cutting and like every once in a while, he'll fly in for an offensive rebound and that looks good. But I think he could be a little bit better with his cutting off of those situations where his man is probably losing him because they're paying no attention to him whatsoever. The other thing is, He's really loose with the handle right now, Sam. Like the game the other night, he had a couple turnovers where it's like your fifth option offensively that doesn't take a lot of usage can't have these type of turnovers. And even the rim finishing has been a little bit of a struggle. So defensively, a lot of things to like. There's games where he looks really good, really efficient, um, uh, but he's got to figure out some of the stuff offensively. Sasser, like he he's a little bit up and down in terms of the shot making, but man, this kid can create his own shot about any time he wants. Like he's got some real like juice and wiggle and the step back. And so that's been real beneficial defensively, some limitations just because of his size. He's also out, I think for at least another week um, until he gets reevaluated with a knee or something like that. So um, not going to get any minutes from him uh, for, you know, these next three or four games. Yeah, so I've at least liked that Asar has fought past like Monty Yo-Yo in his minutes a little bit and fought past that rookie wall a little bit. He's been pretty productive at least over the yeah, last eight sure. games. Like 12 points, six rebounds, two assists, one and a half steals, a block, 58% from the field. He's not as good defensively as a man is. Like when you watch the tape, like he's just like a little bit less impactful. He's a good defender. I don't mean to like crush him or anything, sure. but like a man is like a, like flying around everywhere. And like, if he'd done this the whole year it would be like an all defense guy, but Asar has been like a pretty good defender. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's a little bit less. Uh, I like the energy 
that he brings. I like the transition play. Uh, there are just limitations with him with roster building that like kind of show up on this roster. Uh, you know, you have to have a playmaking center like in a, like a Shangoon, or you need to have a like a real spacing center, like a Miles Turner, I, I think, to like really make it work. And Jalen Duran is neither of those things. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do a maybe we'll do like a sophomore recap at some point next week. Yeah. And because Duran is truly fascinating uh, for a number of reasons, like I, I don't don't know how much better he's gotten is kind of my take yeah agreed like i'm not not 100 sure how much better he's gotten since last year uh, i don't, I don't want to get into this unless you make me yeah we'll do it next week maybe okay thank um you. thank you sasser I, I love watching marcus sasser he's energetic he can really shoot it uh like you said he has wiggle it, he's looks like a great backup point guard is where yeah, i'm at no, and like I, like i said when they drafted him Perfect compliment for both Jaden Ivy and Cade Cunningham, like across the board. Yeah, no, I agree. And then with Grimes, I think him and Grimes off the bench together in a backcourt could be a whole lot of fun. You know, reuniting the the Houston yeah. backcourt, I think that would be really good. Um, like, there's some things. This team is still awful, and there's times it's really, really hard to watch. But you're starting to see some pieces go together where it's like, okay, this makes sense with this. And now they have like a guy like Fontecchio where at least he can space the floor and he's a bigger wing that can take some of those matchups a little bit. The Kate Ivy thing still has to get figured out. I'm very bullish on that. I know other people that are not. If you can find the right big men to play a SAR with, that's really exciting. I've said I would love to just see a SAR play with Isaiah Stewart when he's not suspended with as like the front court because the Asar rebounds so well. I think those guys can hold up in a second unit. And I think Stu shoots it well enough that that makes sense. Like those two guys as your four or five in a second unit can work. And then especially if you have like Sasser and Grimes, and then you still obviously multiple other pieces to fill this thing out for it to actually be functional and good. But there's a little things here and there. And Cade has been really good since the all-star break. I know they're playing right now as we're recording. I don't know how that's going, but uh, Cade has, has looked kind of refreshed and, and, and played really well. Yeah, I've really enjoyed just like they looked like adult. Like it looked like a real team uh, in that Magic game. They, they would have beat the like, Sam. They would have beat the Magic, but the Ma like Suggs hit some ridiculous. It was in the first half, but it, they hit like two ridiculous end of shot clock shots. Like even Paolo, like all, all credits Paolo. Like the shot he made was kind of just like a ridiculously yeah. difficult shot. The Magic just made end of shot clock, end of game clock type of shots. And they just made a few that like the Pistons could not overcome. Yeah. The final thing on the Pistons here. I've kind of likes how they look a little bit more without Isaiah Stewart. So we'll see how that goes. He, Isaiah Stewart should not start, Sam. Shouldn't start would, the four. He should be a five. Yeah, he should. And he's not a starting five. Like people would hate him so much less if he would just go play the role that he could be good in, which is a backup five that plays 23% of his minutes at the four. Like I love Isaiah Stewart, but he is getting crushed because he has consistently been it's. And here's the thing. They tried him at the four. It made sense to try it. It didn't work. Let's move on and not do it anymore. Yeah, I agree. Um, I generally agree. Okay. 
Let's finish up on a few of these guys, and then we have a question from Darren that we want to hit. Uh, Gigi Jackson is who we have to go to next. Gigi's been really fun. I've really, really, yeah. really, really enjoyed. Uh, he has been absolutely fantastic to watch. Um, I- I'm stunned that he's able to play. Like I- honestly, like I am truly stunned that he's like able to play minutes and look uh, as competent as he does on the court point blank that's kind of the reality of where it is yeah no i mean he's shooting what 40 percent from three on the season and on real volume so he's shooting the ball well 46 percent from the field since january 1st he's sixth amongst rookies in points per game he's still only 14th in total minutes but uh you know getting those attempts up third since january 1st in free throw attempts four rebounds a game, some of the other stuff, like not quite there, but man, like he has played really, really well. So shout out to Gigi Jackson for getting this opportunity and then taking advantage of it. We talk about it all the time. Like at some point in these guys' careers, they get opportunities or their seasons, whatever. Like I shouldn't say career like it's, but he's come in, he's got the opportunity there in Memphis with the energy or the injuries and he's taken advantage and shout out Gigi for that. Cuckoo uh, DMV asks, was Gigi that bad in his lone college season? Yes. The the answer is yes. I mean, you know, I still have the draft guide up here in the thing. We can kind of go through it and look at it. But I, I had Gigi at 36 on my board. So, you know, honestly, higher than where he went. Um, I tend to write a lot of, like, strengths for guys. For Gigi, I ended up with three, which is not ideal. Um, you know, fluid athlete can create shots and like mechanically the jumper looks great long-term. That was always my thought. Uh, and then you look through the weaknesses, uh, not overly long, not all that explosive in a crowd. Still think you do kind of see that to be honest. Um, was a really bad finisher last year made just 48.9% of his half court attempts at the rim. That is a like staggeringly low number for somebody who's six foot nine made just 42.6% of his layups last year, which is a bonkers like low number for somebody who's that size. Um, Decision-making was a significant, significant issue. Uh, Defensively was nowhere near ready to make an impact at the NBA level, had really bad awareness, was a really bad ball watcher. Um, and kind of ultimately like didn't deal well with adversity. Like that was a big thing, like maturity and dealing well with adversity, really poor body language on the court, like bad huddles Had like an Instagram live outburst, but doesn't matter. He's in the NBA. He's in a more positive situation. Uh, the Grizzlies have figured it out and how to like get him, uh, into a place off the court where he has been successful in being all about the right things. And, you know, I've talked to a few people there and like the thing that they say is like, he is really coachable. Like that, that is, that is the thing that they like did not totally like, not that they didn't totally know, but like they felt good that like he'd come in and be coachable, but like th- they like are really, really impressed with how coachable he's been and how he's taken all of their feedback and taken all of everything they've given him and said, Hey, like you know, like they are like hard on him and they, he will listen to them is a big thing. So, um, yeah, Gigi has been really impressive. He's been really, really impressive for the, uh, for what he's done. And look, Memphis has been looking for these big wings for a while now. 
Like it's what they've been searching for drafting Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, Zaire Williams. Um, you know, Vince Williams has hit to an extent, right? Like Vince has been pretty good this year and man, it's just really, he's been really, really good. Didn't he miss like one, didn't he get like a one game suspension for like, well, yeah, I believe- like the Instagram live thing where they brought him off the bench for a while. And then like, he. well, no, I'm talking about this year with the Grizzlies. I thought like a couple weeks, I, I thought he got one. And the only reason I brought it up is because then like, it seemed like he bounced right back from that. Maybe I'm making this up. So, um, but yeah, like he's come in, he's had what, like say 452 minutes since January 1st. And he's played really, really well for some reason. I thought there was just a, a one little thing where, um, he missed, he had a one game. I was like, Oh man, like th- this doesn't, you know, this isn't great. And then he bounced right back and got right back into the rotation, started playing. Did I make that up? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not impossible, I guess. Uh, yeah. Issued a one game suspension for violating team rules. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I, again, I'm, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying it as a negative way. I'm almost saying it in a positive way. Like maybe he got a little off track, whatever, but he got right back on track from it. So I, I was bringing it up to give him props and like, it didn't turn into more things or continue to snowball or anything like that. Yep. Uh, also, I think he mentioned in a scrum like a week ago or something, two weeks ago, something like that, um, that he's been fined by the Grizzlies four times this year for things. Again, like going to have to figure some of that stuff out, but he has been, uh, really really coachable is the thing that they say like he's willing to listen and like willing to make the changes so if he can do that like he's been very uh impressive this year and he can be impactful he can be useful he's hitting 40 percent of his threes um he takes threes he's very confident shooting them uh you know rebounds the ball at a reasonable level for a wing like i don't know um like i said like I, i would take him in the lottery right now like pretty clearly uh based on where he based on what he's done so far yeah no it's uh, again i I can't commend him enough for taking advantage of the opportunity he's got okay uh you know nick smith great grady dick i think i've been i've loved to see grady dick like kind of overcome what was a horrendous start (laughs) to the season uh really really struggled it felt like to establish himself in any way, shape, or form. But if you look over his last 12 games, he's drilling 46% of his four three-point attempts per game, uh, averaging 10 points. He's just, you know, moved into the role and looks like a real NBA player again, which is good. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this again whenever we were talking about what's the hardest archetypes. And I said, it seems easy to be the quote-unquote floor spacer or the three-point shooter but if you don't do it, then all of a sudden you feel a lot of pressure and you can get in your own head. And we all know that three-point shooting, you know, in general, shooting in general, there's a lot of mental parts to that. Closeouts come faster. The length is, you know, all of those things happen on an NBA floor. So there's some adjustment to that. So seeing him be able to adjust to that, shoot the ball at the rate that he has over, you know, whatever you said, the last 11 games since January 1st was the numbers I pulled was 40%. It's great to see. Like he was easily the second best shooter in the class for me behind Jordan Hawkins. 
has really good size. I think he has a good feel for the game. I think defensively on ball is always going to be a struggle, but I always thought he had some potential as just a team defender in terms of rotations, awareness, with his length, be able to provide some things that way. And not like a creator, but just a good ball mover and passer as well. So as the shooting kind of stabilizes, he gets comfortable and confident there. I think we'll see those other things as well. Yeah, agree. Um, uh, Nick Smith, any thoughts? I don't really have a ton of thoughts on Nick Smith there. You know, I just, I just, relaxed, honest I just love that we got held hostage with a like to talk about Grady Dick. That's beautiful stuff from one of the, the viewers here. Nick, Nick, Nick Smith's been shooting the ball really well, um, which – uh, is really exciting to see. Nick Smith was a guy I really enjoyed, but watching the game, it was like the same stuff in college where I'm like, Nick, please slow down just a little bit. Like you, you're playing a little bit too fast. Like if you're playing at 70 miles an hour, you need to slow it down to about 60. But man, he he is shooting the ball well. Uh, yeah, shooting the ball well. Duop Reith, I think, has been really valuable for the yeah. Blazers this year. Yeah. Shout out Duop Reith. Shout out uh, my Australian brethren. Duop Reith has been really useful for them. Uh, faces the floor as a big that's valuable yep uh that's i think that's everybody that we really wanted to hit on um okay so we have this last question here from i mean someone asked about jalen hood shafino i don't have any jalen hood shafino thoughts to be completely upfront and transparent uh you know watched some of his g-league games earlier in the year but uh thought that he looked fine uh, I guess Bilal, we didn't talk about Bilal, did we? Uh, we just touched on it a little bit, just some concerns with the efficiency and, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, look, like the fact, again, the fact that Bilal can play on an NBA court right now is probably a win for the Wizards. Averaging 8.2 points, 4 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 44.2% from the field, 35.7% from three, but that's like, you know, super low volume three pointers on like really open ones. I think, yeah, like this is, you know, given the minutes that he's playing, he's playing like 27 a night. I like the defensive activity. I think he is really useful in that regard, but yeah, I mean, I I think he's kind of hit a wall recently to be honest with you. Like it just feels, feels a little bit tougher for him uh, over the last like 20 games or so. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I don't want to say it's expected or it's like, okay, that we're seeing this from him, but I mean, he had a massive meteoric rise to the you know top 10 in the draft. And this is a young kid. Like I'm not, I'm not crazy concerned about it right now. You see flashes, you see games. And, you know, if, again, like we said earlier, if he comes back next year and you don't see any growth when we are like, we were talking about with scoot, then I would start to have con- some concerns, but right now like do i wish it was better absolutely like you always wish you could see some more positive flashes or you know but it's fine like i'm not going to overreact or say that it wasn't the right pick or any of those things i think we all knew coming in there was a little bit of like okay this is a toolsy thing young prospect that we're going to buy on here and then you know they have to put him in a situation to grow and get better yeah um uh, yeah, I mean, so let, let's do this last question here. Okay, sure. Uh, from Darren Flowers, shout out for the super chat. I hear a lot of Trey Young to the Spurs rumors, a guard that's six foot that cannot defend, that's on a massive contract, an amount of resources you would have to give up. Can you explain to me how that's a good idea? Uh, Bryce, do you want to take this or should I have to start? 
Well, I was just going to say, like, he brings up some interesting points here. The contract is over 40 million for the next three years. Um, I think the one thing that like where you bring up the cannot defend, I think that the idea is that Wimby protects that. And so that's why you can get away with a six foot guard that cannot defend, but has the, has the star power that Trey young has from the guard position. And again, one thing I think that is often underappreciated with Trey young is what he is as a passer. So yes, the scoring, all of that stuff, but this, guy getting Wimby the ball in the spots those two running pick and roll pick and pop all of the different things you can do with them is very intriguing I think Darren and again shout out thank you he always comes through with some of these really cool questions I can understand the hesitation do you want to commit that much money long term at this stage if you're the Spurs I can understand that conversation you know that is the big thing for me I don't think the defense scares me as much because again we just talked about how Victor can make up for a lot of that and I think offensively, it just makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so with this fit, I actually kind of love it. <laughs> uh, so like from the asset perspective that you'd have to give up, that's oh, yeah, the that, thing. Yeah, that, that was like, the other makes part. I skipped over that. Sorry. Me a little bit hesitant on it. But in terms of fit, like Trey is so good at drawing defenders away from his big in ball screen situations, he would just feed Victor lobs. Like Trey young made John Collins, like a 20 and 10 guy, right? Victor is enormous and is unbelievably impressive as a lob catcher and finisher at the rim when he wants to be. And as he gets stronger and like gets stronger through his legs, he's going to be a really difficult problem to solve. I think in those situations. So offensively, what we kind of talked about earlier is like, if I was building a team around Trey, I would want four shooters or around Victor. I'm sorry. Around not around Trey. Yeah. I would want four shooters and I would want like two real like playmakers. And I think that you can get away with somebody who has like the really small size, like Trey with Victor, you would just need Trey to like commit to, you just have to give effort getting around screens. Because again, with Victor, the thing is, I think that Trey's Trey's biggest issue a lot of the time is actually in recovery as much as anything in ball screens. Trey, a lot of the time, like that's from like giving up, but a lot of the time, like it's just because he doesn't have like real physical tools to be able to get back and recover. Like he's not overly quick. He's not overly long. Right. If he is just willing to like try and close the angle and like get back and like be on the guys like back in his hip, that closes the angle because Victor's length, as we showed in that clip earlier, automatically closes angles in like a real substantial way where he's in the pocket passing gap. He's in the, like, he's obviously going to block off the lobs and he's like, there ready to contest the ball handler at all times because he's so long. Then you throw in what he's going to bring offensively to San Antonio. Like he's an offense unto himself. He's an unbelievable offensive player. Nobody should ever doubt Trey Young's incredible offensive gifts. Uh, if you put Trey next to Wemby and put three shooters around them, it's not like their defense can be worse right now than what it is, right? Like when Wemby is on the court, they have like a 115 defensive rating, something like that. Uh, that would be essentially a, and I pull it up, like 13th best defense in the league 
right? If you can be a team that has like the best offense in the league and like the 13th best defense in the league or something, you're probably contending for a title at the end of the day. So I like the idea depending on the price tag. It just would depend on the price tag. Yeah. And as uh, basketball genesis brings up, Trey Young is only 25 years old. So, you know, you're not even like you're even talking about the timeline still relatively matching between those guys. So, uh, again, I think it comes down to that final thing. And Darren brought it up to his credit in the question is, what is the haul? What do you have to give up? How many draft picks and all of that? And then I always like to have the context as well, because I don't know teams like cap sheets in and out off the top of my head. How can you build around it? Because if you're going to go get Trey Young, you want to start truly competing and start building. So what are the other means to putting that roster that makes sense? You don't want to waste two years of Trey and Wimby because you don't have the three and D two, three and four in the starting lineup. You don't have the floor spacing around them or you don't have enough depth to really compete. I'm not saying you're going to go compete for a championship in year one, but if this happened this off season, I think Victor in year two, Trey at this point in his career, you're going to want to really win some games and, you know, make, you know, get into the playoffs with that roster. So you got to figure out, okay, how do we build it out around them? Do we have the resources, the means to do that right away as well? Yeah. And that'd be a little bit trickier, right? So, you know, you'd probably have to use Kelton Johnson's salary for matching. And then, you know, you have the Zach Collins deal. You have Trey Jones has one more year left on his deal, although he might be useful to keep. Uh, the The real problem with this idea to me almost is having Devin Vassell on that like enormous extension kind of like you'd really have to believe that Vassell is like a guy, I think. And I, I, I don't mind the deal to be clear, but like, if you're going to get your next star, it's going to be a problem to have Victor. And then you have Trey on like 39 million, whatever the number is. Uh, and then you have Vassell on 30 million. Actually, no, now I'm looking at it. His deal actually declines. Okay. It goes from 29 the first year to 27 to 27 to 24. It looks like that's a little bit more interesting, but you know, Devin, you, you need to hope that somebody values Devin. You need to use Kelton as the salary match though. Like you can't, yeah, you'd have to like hope that Atlanta values Kelton Johnson. Yeah. And I say like, that's where I like these ideas in theory, whenever they get brought up. And then my mind always goes to how do you build it out after that? And so that would be the yeah. piece. I think that would be maybe the biggest piece for me is how do you build it out? You have Vic, you have Trey. Great start. Awesome. Like even money-wise, it's fine because Vic's not getting the rookie extension for you know what, however long. And that's not kicking in. So you can spend some major money in other areas. But how do you get there? How do you get those players into San Antonio via trade, free agency? What are the assets left then to continue to build it out for the next six to eight years. Yeah. And you know, someone in the comments here brought up Devin Vassell becoming consistent would help, you know, Devin over his last 17 games is averaging 22, four and five and shooting 49, 42, 78. Like he's been really good here for a minute. Uh, like I actually really have enjoyed 
Devin's game. It's just like you really need you're putting a lot of eggs in the Devin Vassell basket sure. if you go and get Trey. Um, in terms of what it would cost, like they have all I'm sure Atlanta would want its pits it would want its picks back uh in a Trey Young deal. Like that would be my guess on it all. But if you're moving Trey, like to me, you're restarting in Atlanta. So th- that's what you kind of gotta figure out here. Is is that even something Atlanta could do? Yeah, they, they, it just like I thought it was going to be an interesting deadline and was not. It will be an interesting offseason for Atlanta to see. You you can't run this back. You can't bring. They have to do something because of the apron. You know the the tax implications of the roster right now. You, you can't run it back for another year. I think you can't run it back. I think that's absolutely true. If you run it back, you're asking for real problems. Real problems. Um, Okay. I think that's all we've got today, Bryce. Two hours and 20 minutes later. I told you that if this was still going by 7 o'clock your time, that I would need to just quit. Um, I forget what my exact words were. Oh, I can can look it up. You you talk for a little bit. It was not. uh, Awesome. If I'm still recording that podcast by seven, I will need to stop doing podcasts forever. Uh, It is now seven Bryce's time and we are still recording. So that's my fault. Uh, Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah. At Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Again, mostly piss and stuff, but more NBA draft, general NBA, all of that. Started to drop some NBA draft uh, scouting reports on the Substack, MotorCityHoops.substack.com. So check those out. It's it's very different. I just give my raw notes, so it's no extra work for me, to be honest with you guys. It's just my raw notes scouting reports from games I've watched. So you may enjoy consuming it that way. You may not. Um, but if you do, um, go ahead. And uh, that's it. If I guess if you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse, I assume most of you already know that. Or you have no interest in hearing more about Detroit. Go to the athletic. Keep me employed over there. Uh, I am working on draft guide this week for the most part. I did Donovan Klingon, Cam Spencer, and Jared McCain yesterday. Finally wrote those up from my notes. So that was fun. Uh, I think I'm through a bunch of those now, which is good. So uh, that's all I've got here. Until next time, we'll talk soon.